Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C Certified Brewhead. And I am Nathan from Nathan Does Beer. Welcome to episode 155 of Beer Notch the Podcast Adjunct Series. Nathaniel, we're going to Guelph tonight, mate. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We have had maybe uh, we, I, one. We've had at least, I, I think, just one, uh, one other one from Guelph this year. Disgraceful. We really need to get on that. Well, we're working yeah. on it bit by bit. So this is, you know, there are, if I'm not mistaken, and the boys will correct me if I'm wrong, there are five phenomenal breweries in Guelph. And uh, it's, you know, now I'm close by. It's a, it's an area that I'm uh, wanting to explore a lot more. Um, I remember drinking these guys' beer, like, back in the day, like, early on. Like, these guys be around for a minute. Yeah. Um, I imagine you would have as well, right? I'm, like, they were relatively accessible, at least some of the SKUs at LCBO. They were, yeah, and uh, and my mate who used to live in uh, like in KW would very often uh, end up in Guelph and would uh, often pick up stuff from these guys for me back in the day. And I also used to get a bunch of them from the LCBO too. Uh, if I go back like five, six years. Okay, amazing. So I'm not sure we'll get a whole bunch of different beers, like a really great lineup of beers. I'm not sure if I've had any of them personally, but I'm excited to to go through it all, um, man. Let's bring them on on. Guys, please Let's welcome. Do it. I always get the logistics right. Here we go. Please welcome Cam and Dan of Real City Brewing. Hello! Welcome, welcome, fellas. Gorgeous men. Yeah, that's, uh, that's high tech. I love it. Yeah, right? Mate, it's the future over here. 2025 already. God damn it. Um, great to speak to you both, man. Uh, this is long time coming. Uh, Cam, actually, we all we all hung out. We all were chatting at um, the Canada Beer Cup in October, which was great. And fun fact, I was going to say in the intro, might as well say it here. So I worked at Beer Market in 2011, 2012, and Uncle Dan was my manager. And <laughs> you're such a champion, dude. I've always, like, I always remember... Now I own a business and I manage employees. I've always like kept the good managers in my head because I've always had a lot of not so great ones over my tenure of uh, working. And you just made it like I was pretty new to doing all that stuff, and you just made it a breeze. I know it was uh, you know my good friend Craig who referred me to the job, but uh, I appreciate you forever, man. And everyone always told I think Craig actually always kept me up to date with what you were doing. And when you went to Royal City, I was like, hell yeah, bro. So. Um, Super great to reconnect uh, at uh, the the beer cup and um, stoked to have you guys on, man, and get that full story of the shit. So love it. Good to see you. Yeah, man. Ready to go. So let's get beer going and then we can get yapping more. Uh, tell us awesome. what we're starting with, fellas. Uh, yeah, we're going to start with uh, start with bootleg tonight. Uh, so go. bootleg is wow. uh, creamy. Hell yeah. Uh, actually, the best one to talk about this is kind of his jam, isn't it? Talking about beer. Yeah, I mean, I can talk about beer. Uh, so this is a female. Um, female, for those that don't know, uh, you know, is really the original North American beer style. Uh, was made to compete with imported German and Czech lagers, um, and brewed with six row barley and corn uh, in order to smooth out that six row barley and make beer closer to what was being imported. Uh, this Interesting. Still brew, uh, six row barley, uh, a bunch of corn, 
Um, and you know, it's our, it's our number two selling beer, uh, at this point. Uh, and it's just smooth, easy drinking. You get that greeniness in it. There's a nice little hit of bitterness at the back end. Um, and it's just a refreshing, it's, it's the beer we give to people that want a beer beer. Gotcha. <laughs> a beer that tastes like beer. Mm-hmm. Beer flavored beer. How, how long have you guys been doing this one? Uh, we brewed this the first time I want to say in 2018. Yeah, okay. uh, in conjunction yeah. with the uh, Master Brewers Association of uh, Canada's uh, Ontario Technical Conference, and it was in Guelph. I want to say that was 2018. I think that's right. Um, so that was the first time uh, I brewed at the time. I don't brew anymore, but uh, this was one of the last beers that I actually made uh, in its original form here. That's awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, it uh, one of the cool stories, like why I, I kind of like this beer, so kind of got a little bit of Guelph history tied into it. Please. Uh, Why are you saying that? So, Just want to cheers. Cheers, guys. Yeah, Get cheers. That in if you Welcome again. Thanks. Um, Money. The, uh, for the longest time in North America, the, the primary brewing barley was called OAC 21. Uh, it was a six-row barley. Uh, it was developed at the Ontario Agricultural College, which is now part of the University of Guelph. Um, it was, uh, basically one of the most widespread and most widely used species of barley for brewing in North America up until like mid sixties, early seventies. Um, so we were uh, kind of inspired to make this beer cause I was trying to get, get my hands on some of it. Cause I knew they, uh, Canada country malt had, uh, planted a couple of fields of this again at West for a couple of experiments. I was trying to get my hands on some of it to actually, you know, you're in Guelph with. Um, and unfortunately, I couldn't do that, but I did use a different, uh, we did use a different uh, six row that was available uh, from Country Malt. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of one of the coolest things for me about making beer with six row is that if you look at, you know, the average six row barley versus the average two row barley, uh, the plump on a two row is so much more, uh, uh, it's, it's such a bigger, fatter seed, essentially, fatter kernel. Um, and so a lot of that character you get from those traditional malts is just due to the ratio of organic to starch in that actual barley seed. There's so much less starch present in a six row. You have so much, uh, this organic matter present husk, husk. Yeah. So when you get, uh, when you drink a six row beer barley, it tastes a lot grainier and it's just because yeah, there's just a lot more mm. grain per, per pound or per kilo in the actual grist. Mm. Cool little thing. So six row, this, this is all sounding familiar. Obviously, two rows probably the the most common uh, like barley style, whatever. But the 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 difference, say, between a two row and six row, like aside from like the the like you said, the husk and everything of the kernel, like what does that deliver in the flavor that needed to be smoothed out by the corn? So I, part of it is is that intense graininess. There's okay. like a harshness. Yeah. That. yeah. Okay. And then also. Um, like the corn just helps mellow that out. Um, and then part of it was just, um, as far as I understand, shelf stability at that time as well. Gotcha. Um, the six got harsher with age. It didn't seem to age out like, uh, like some other things do. Uh, and so that corn just sort of balanced it down. And, and, you know, you get all these stories about brewers at the time trying to use corn to be cheaper and all these things. And at that, like nowadays, yeah, people use corn syrup to, to make cheaper beer. But at that time, you know, you had to install a cereal cooker uh, in order to cook the grain first and then add it to the mash. So it, it wasn't cheaper at the time. It was uh, yeah. just as expensive, if not more expensive. Uh, but it really was to, like, balance out those 
those characteristics. Nowadays, we can buy you know pre-converted corn, so it's it's not we don't have to have a cereal cooker. Uh, but when they were first building these styles, that that was necessary. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm definitely noticing that, yes, intense graininess is probably the best way to, mm-hmm. to put it. I always find that like the first beer of the night is, um, I always like, I feel like I misinterpret it on my palate as more bitter than it actually is. Is the is this like a pretty intense bitterness? Just because I feel like I'm, I might be off. It feels quite bitter and quite intense, but I've had a million cream ale, so I know they're not crazy bitter, but I feel like. That's I fair. I would, our cream ale is probably more bitter than some of the other ones out there. Okay. Um, and to be honest, I think that's probably true to classic style. Okay. Uh, again, if you're competing with imported uh, German Pilsner or things like that, that have like that uh, sharp sort of focus bitterness, mm-hmm. uh, you want that same sort of thing in whatever they're competing with. Uh, and so our, you know, at this point, our cream ale is probably a little bit more bitter than some of the other uh, cream ales on the market. But I think, again, that's just kind of, we think that's sort of traditional and also just fits that sort of refreshing, you know, you get it, it cleanses the palate, you get this nice sort of wake up of a little hit of bitterness, similar to what you would get it in a Pilsner or something like that. Gotcha. Um, and as I'm, that, that's a great explanation. And I feel like as I'm drinking and taking more sips, the, there's like this nice uh, multi sweetness, which is kind of now starting to offset the bitterness a bit as I guess the yep. palate sort of adjusting to it. Um there's one thing I always want to ask about this, since you guys are probably great. I have a, a friend, an Australian friend in Calgary who runs a, a brewery, and she, I think it was always funny because she always, like, she detests cream ales, and she always said there's, I think her, like, critique of the style is, like, vegetal or something like that, and I'm not getting anything of that sort of touch of maybe grassiness, but that doesn't seem out of the ordinary for any kind of, uh, you know, umbrella crispy. Um is that an like a known off flavor in like as in a defect in the cream ale, or is there is she sort of is that just like a, a maybe a, a not touchy but like you know you like it or you don't type of thing? For me, I, I would say it has to do with the balance of the corn in the uh, in in the beer, what the percentage of the ratio of the corn is. Um, frequently, certain vegetal off like, can be like written down right described as, as like a corny kind of cream corn kind of flavor. It's like on the, on the spectrum in sulfur. Um, and so that can kind of present as being a little vegetal. Um, so for me, that would just be a ratio, like a, an expression of that ratio of corn to, to barley in the beer. Um, but that's kind of on the, on the, on the I don't know. That, that, it, yeah. I, I, yeah. If someone's describing as cream ale as vegetal, that's kind of what, where I, where my head would go with it. It just has to do with where, how much that corns it. I would say you also have the ability, or not the ability, the um, possibility that again, when you're using six row and you have more, mm. um, more of that husk and things like that in there, I think that can sometimes come across as a little bit, maybe vegetals not quite, but like organic tasting, mm-hmm. um, tastes like plants, sort of, mm-hmm. um, which is possible too. I mean, there's also there's also you know, cream ale is, it's basically a lager in process, if not in, in East, um, uh, yeah. East edition. So, you know, you get some of those vegetal off flavors sometimes, uh, in lagers too. And, and that probably just comes down to process, uh, maybe some aging time and things like that too. You know, people want to turn around cream ales quickly cause it's an ale. So they, they you know, they want to turn it in, in that amount of time, but it, 
ours does logger for quite a while. And I think that that really does smooth it out and, and impacts that, that final flavor. So that, that's a possibility. What's the lagering time for this bad boy? Uh, it's four weeks. Four weeks. Okay. Um, that's not bad. I mean, like, I guess normally an ale would be two. So it's like, I guess double. But uh, yeah, if that's what sort of smooths it out a bit, that's great. I dig that. It's uh, yeah, it's fascinating. I feel like do you guys, like, I feel like back in the day, sort of what Nate were, and I were referring to in the beginning when you know I got into beer here in beginning of twenty eleven. Um, I feel like there was a ton of cream ales. I feel like every brewery had a cream ale and you know imported ones and all that stuff. But I feel like over time it became sort of maybe less common. Like, is there anything <clears throat> that you guys have noticed with the style? Like, you know, did like just lagers and pilsners sort of maybe overtake it or like what what am i am i off that i'm not seeing it as much do you have any thoughts on like the style itself i think so early on i mean the big one that you can think of in, in ontario anyway the the first big one is going to be um Sleep. you know in, in the lagered ale sort of category uh as opposed to lager, yeah. which isn't a cream but you know it takes that box of small brewers mm. making beer that appeals to lager drinkers, mm. um, even though, you know, they don't necessarily have the equipment or the time or whatever to do those things properly. And so they're doing the closest thing that they can do. So whether that's, you know, a, a coach style beer or a cream ale or something like that. Um, and I think that was like a, a, a jump off point for now. You see smaller breweries doing things like, you know, traditional lager styles like Pilsner or Hellas or, or whatever. And I think that that cream ale and Kolsch phase was kind of necessary to get people to that point. Mm. But I think now people are at that point, it's easier to sell a Pilsner than it is a cream ale, right? There's still a lot of people in the the consumer world that have no idea what a cream ale is and they're going to see it and think it's creamy or think whatever they think it is. Right? Yeah. They know what a Pilsner is or, or, or just lager or whatever. And that's a, a bit of an easier sell. So in my mind, I think that's sort of where that transition. I don't know. Can mm-hmm. you- yeah, I think, I, I think you're right. I think it just has to do with the number of offerings out there as well. Earlier on, there were just fewer brewers. And so fewer of them had a cream ale. There's more, more stuff on shelves, more cream ale on shelves. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. You say like, thought it was creamy i i saw i dead ass thought that too back in the when i knew nothing and was learning about it all i was like oh i think in my head i liked them more because i was like, oh man the, the mouthfeel on this is just so creamy like it's crazy what do they put in this yeah so it's funny what your like it's funny what your brain will do when it's primed to uh like to expect it to taste a certain way you can really convince yourself that it is yeah man and I guess, yeah, I remember in the beginning while I was doing like that 365 days of beer where I'm like counting the beers that I'm still doing, I guess. But when in the beginning, it was more like I felt, you know, you start the LCBO, you go through the macros and then you're like, all right, now the Euro lagers. And I always found like, this is funny because at the time I remember being bored shitless with them because it was they were all now I think the nuance is phenomenal. But at the time, it kind of oh, it tastes the same. It's yellow. It's fizzy. It's multi. Yay. Like, and I felt like uh, it was kind of boring to a cream ale for whatever reason just felt more interesting like 12 13 years ago than a lager mm-hmm. but i think you guys nailed it that maybe the market is more prime now for that you're seeing it's like you'd be hard pressed to find a brewery that isn't doing um like actual lagers or pilsners now um and they seem to be like even some some like haze breweries that are known for that have told us that they are doing more 
uh, more pilsners and stuff now, more lagers, which is crazy. As in like selling more volume and people are more interested in that, which is telling, I guess. Do you guys do uh, pilsners or lagers? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we do. We do. Um, not pilsner specific, not, but we lagers for sure. Yeah, lagers. So we make uh, one called Regal Lager. Uh, that's, uh, we, it's, we call it Continental Lager. Okay. I wouldn't really call it a, I wouldn't really call it like a North German Pilsner. So we would call it Continental. Um, we typically brew lager when we don't have a lot of demand in our tank. So generally, like right now, Maddie's laying down four or five um, different lagers because we don't, you know, it's Christmas. We're, we're going to be slow into January. We already got the beer packed for, for December, so we're going to be slow through January. So we let that stuff sit. Um, most of our, our true lager sits between January, pushing eight weeks now. Um, so we make uh, Regal Lager. We do uh, Bamberg, so smoked lager, nice. um, smoked American. Um, we do Kibosh, which is a Baltic porter. Uh, what am I missing? Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest, yeah, that's obviously that's Munich, Munich D as well. Those we brew kind of in the end of the summer um, for uh, for Oktoberfest, or Oktoberfest, obviously. And this, anything else? Oh, we do uh, uh, rice lager. We have done a couple in the past uh, as well. Um, but again, we kind of generally throw all those down this time of year um, for release, kind of through through the end of the winter and into the spring. Nice. Yeah, a little spoiler. I think we're hoping in oh, yeah. February to do a little lager fest here where we'll have three or four of our own on and then hopefully six or eight from other breweries uh, for a weekend on at the brewery. So just yeah. to showcase nice. the breadth of, of lager that's yeah. sort of in this area, um, kind of keep it as, you know, not local, but local-ish. Um, and so people can come down and, and try a bunch of that stuff. So I think Matt, our brewer's name's Matt. He's uh brewing right now, actually, otherwise he'd probably be on this with us. Um, Hard working. He, yeah, he uh, is doing a Schwarz beer for that, I think, for the first time. Yep. So that should nice. be fun. Um, so, yeah. So we do do them. We, we love doing them. Our joke here is that, uh, you know, if it were up to Cam and Matt and I, we would really only brew German-style lager and probably <laughs> say, uh, and then nobody would buy our beer and we'd go to business. Um, <laughs> We do enjoy those styles of beer, and Matt likes making them. It's just like like Cam said, finding the time and the tank space to do it properly. Yeah, gotcha. Now that makes sense. Um, I also find it uh, humorous that your brewer's name is Matt. By far, I reckon like seventy percent of the beer industry is Matt. I swear. <laughs> it's like every time I like I tell Tiff if she doesn't remember somebody, uh, Tiff, my you guys have met her, my girlfriend. Like every time I was like, just say Matt. You probably got. Pretty, pretty yeah, good yeah, chance yeah. that they're going to be right. It's so hilarious. Yeah. Funny. Why do Matt's want to be brewers? Or work can be We have this thing at the brewery here too where we constantly oh. hire multiple people with the same name. Yeah. <laughs> there's two Matt's right now. Um, but there's always like at least three or four name overlaps at all times. Yeah. And it's just like, well, I don't I don't know. <laughs> like, do you think really uh, maybe parents in the 80s and 90s were just lazy? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. That's gold. Um, okay, amazing. So let's get into the story there, man. Um, I'd love to know how you both got into beer, like individually, how you discover craft beer, and then kind of your individual paths to, you know, the career, and then how you sort of both ended up at Royal City. Okay. Whoever wants to go first. You go first. All right, I'll start her off. Um, so for me, I kind of had my craft beer awakening in 2004 
because uh, I'm kind of old. Um, and in 2004, I took a, it was my last year of university, I took a class uh, called Beverage Management 2, uh, which was basically, I was, it was a hotel and food administration school here in Guelph. Um, I wasn't in that program at all, but I heard about this thing and they, someone was like, yeah, you got to do this. I'm like, all right. So I went and did it. Beverage Management 2 was just beer and, uh, beer and spirits. So they basically walk you through kind of like almost like a prudum kind of thing, but then more of like the history, more of the, like the, 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 uh, the hospitality piece of it as well. Um, and, uh, I remember very vividly in one of the reasons we make, uh, we make Bamberg now. Um, so that's our smoked, our smoked Meritzen is, uh, the, pro- the professor, I don't even know if he was a professor. He was just a dude who liked beer, um, <laughs> brought in, uh, a bottle of, uh, a Schlenker Le Ralph beer. So I've seen it at the LCBO. It's, Schlenk, I always call it, it's got the yellow label with the red and you can't read on it. Uh, brown, oh, yeah. Bottle. Campfire in a uh, yeah. Exactly. It's ribs. Ribs in a bottle. And I was just, you know, I fancied myself a beer connoisseur at age 20. Um, I, I drank 50 and Rickards, not just the, uh, not just the uh, Molson Canadian out there. Um, and I had that, I remember very vividly, like, holy shit, I didn't know beer could do this. Um, and then, Ever since that kind of moment, yeah, I was I was kind of a blind and sinker. Um, so that was kind of my my like that. I can drill it down to one 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 experience. That was that was it. That kind of got me there uh, as a young degenerate. Um, I kind of went out drinking as much as much random beer, or not random, but just as much as wide a breadth of beer as I possibly could. Hmm. Uh, I had the fortune to go and live in Germany for a couple of years, pretty much right after that. Um, and I, I lived very close to Bamberg where, uh, where like where Schlenk's from there. Um, and then, uh, you know, I was, I was actually in Nuremberg, uh, which arguably is probably one of the beer capitals in the world huh. in terms of just breweries per square, per square kilometer, uh, and per square per capita there. Um, and so I used to drink at this pub called, uh, Land Beer Paradise in Nuremberg. And they had this little thing on their, on their, uh, tables everywhere that was kind of, it's just kind of said, you know, there's like uh, in the in the area around Nuremberg, like about 150 small breweries. Wow. Um, to like you know, like like and it's like each town has their own one, or each village has their own one kind of thing. Um, they make they make you know famous for land beer there. Um, mm. It's kind of like a like uh, a step between Keller and finished pill, uh, lager, I would say. It's usually a little little dark, not quite amber, but it's like a little on the darker side. Uh, very fresh, usually served out of, out of wood wood ca- wood casks um really fresh kind of just the best beer on earth it really is for me anyway um still after all this time i still i still go back there in a heartbeat um to drink anyway um yeah uh, so i used to drink at this bar and you know they had this mission that it was like you know we are our, our mission is to protect these small breweries from becks and varsteiner and these mega concerns mm-hmm. and put them out of due to pricing practices um, and so this pub would bring in, they had a menu with about 15, uh, 15 different bottles on it every week. Um, menu rotated every 10 weeks. So it was a, a new menu every week with 10 different guys. You have to wait, you know, two months to get the same menu back. And they'd bring in one wood, wood keg from every brewery per week, every three years. Um, and that was literally the best beer you'll ever drink. It was so good. And it was coming straight out of that, straight out of those tanks that morning to this bar. Um, yeah, I, I put stupid hours in that place. Uh, well, a lot of the years that I lived there. Um, yeah, I don't know. After that, I went to the UK for a couple of years as well. So, kind of got to hang out and uh, experience all the beer culture there. Um, 
and yeah, so when we came back, I did a bunch of stuff I hated. Um, and then, uh, you know, a buddy of mine, or like I grew up with, one of my best friends, was like, hey, well, you, you, know, you like beer, you know how to make beer. I, I did a little stint at Great Lakes in Toronto there while, while I was uh, living in Toronto, kind of before I got back to Guelph. Um, I was more just a delivery guy there for a while, but that's where I actually learned how to brew. Uh, first time I ever made beer was at was at Great Lakes, which is, you know, kind of tracing kind of some lineage people through there. It's like I wound up getting uh, Andrew Bartle's job, who now runs the church brewery out in Nova Scotia. Uh, I got his job. Um, and then uh, Rob Hearn got my job when I left. So it's like mm. uh, Rob of here. Yeah. Um, three or four guys that I, I know in the industry now all wound up doing the exact same job at Great Lakes over a period of about two years uh, that all went out and started their own breweries after that. So it was kind of a cool, cool little incubator there at right about, right about 2010, 2009, 2010. Um, cool little incubator there uh, at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, so we just said, do you want to just start a brewery? And I said, sure. And, you know, um, Royal City came out about us from that. I guess that's the best way to put it. Arrogance, I guess, is the best way, the best way to put it. Yeah, we can do this. Why not? We'll we'll figure it out as we go. Um, and you know, I think we've come a hell of a long way in the, the ten years now we've been at it. Uh, company was founded in 2013. We released our first beer in 2014, early 2014. Um, so you know, coming up on our tenth uh, producing anniversary right now. Uh, but we've been in this space. We've been in kind of getting it set up for about over ten years now. Um, you know, we've come a really long way in that time. And when we started, like if we started with the abilities and the know-how we started with in 2013 today, we wouldn't, we wouldn't like, we wouldn't have made it out of the first month. Mm. I think, you know, the, and, uh, the consumer and everyone has just got to the point where they know what, we don't let up, guys like us do that anymore. You got to come in with a much higher skill set and, and understanding. Um, but you know, we came, we learned a lot as we went along, Mac, Matt came in and stepped in and makes way better beer than I ever did. Um, and so our, our, our production and our, and our, our company's kind of coming, just kind of continuing to grow through that time. That's awesome. But, uh, yeah. That team. Where are we, where are we where are from? That's dope. Um, love it, man. That's great to hear that story. I, then Dan, tell us how you got into all of that and then how you ended up, uh, at real city. So, I grew up sort of working in hospitality for most of my life. Um, and my girlfriend at the time who's who's now my wife. Um, when she was done university, she did uh, a postgrad thing in at University of Toronto. So she moved to Toronto. I was just bouncing around doing some restaurant stuff in, in KW. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to move to Toronto too. So I went to Toronto really for no reason other than she was going there and it sounded like fun. Um, and working through hospitality before that I'd been exposed to, you know, lots of different beer and stuff and growing up in Kitchener, uh, Waterloo, you're very exposed to, to German culture and, and you know, that's my family as well. And so you grow up going to the German halls and having traditional, you know, German beers and things like that. Um, and kind of, just developing a little bit of a palate for beer through that. Um, when I moved to Toronto, then I worked at a couple different spots and, and then eventually found myself uh, at the beer market where we met. Um, and I don't know, I'm sure you do remember, but uh, at beer market at that time, any server or bartender that was going to work on the floor had to do Prudhomme uh, level one. 
Okay, uh, I didn't, so, but yes. Yeah, oh yeah, because you're a barback, right? Yeah, I was a barback in the food runner, so I was like the one. I, if I stuck around, I probably would have a got there, I guess. But the, I was not that guy. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did uh, Prudhomme uh, to be a server there, and then got mm-hmm. exposed to tons of beer through them. Um, not that I, you know, I, I, ha- I had a good base of just drinking beer knowledge before that. Um, but, you know, I did my, my prudum there and then, you know, really kind of fell in love with that side of beer with the stories and, you know, the, the ingredients and how that translates into the final product. Right. Um, while I was then at beer market two, I, you know, my, my career progressed there as well. I started managing, um, I did my prudum level two, uh, through them as well. Um, and then I did Prudhomme 3. That, around that time, I started taking over doing a bunch of the beer menu stuff there uh, with Nathan Kim, who was the beverage director there. He did uh, all of the beverage for all of the brands. Um, and then he kind of let me pick a bunch of the beers uh, for the beer market menu um, within some, uh, you know, we, there were partners that we had to work with. Um, but there were a lot of fun stuff that we got to taste and, and, and try. Uh, and then at that point, I started doing the beverage, sort of the beer training for the for the whole company. And I think at that point, there were five stores, four stores, and then we opened the Montreal one and all that stuff too. Um, so I was at Beer Market for a long time, doing all the beer training, doing all the, the beer program, um, sort of uh, managing uh, some of their stores. Uh, and then for a variety of reasons... Um, you know, my, my wife was working for Target at the time, and Target in Canada closed. Oh, yeah. Uh, we said we were going to have a, a, a baby. Um, we had planned to sell our house already, so we were, we were in the process of selling that. And there were all these things happening at once, and we were like, maybe it's just time to move back home. Uh, and so we kind of put the things in motion to move back towards the KW area, and uh, I was looking for a job in this area. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and then I found out that this little brewery was looking for a, a tap room manager. Uh, and at the time the tap room was like four tables, uh, and I uh, key is finest. Yeah. And I was like, this is going to be in the back of my head. I was like, this is going to be my vacation job after <laughs> 80, 80 hour <laughs> restaurant weeks for many years of my life. Um, and then at the beginning it, it was very much so much less time and stress, uh, than, you know, running restaurants for, for the beer market. Um, but now, you know, over time we've grown the business and, and, um, that little five table or four table tasting room no longer exists. We have a, a big beer hall now with, uh, you know, that seats 120 people and an event space, and, uh, patio and all this stuff. So, uh, it, it is definitely no longer that little vacation, uh, a job anymore. It is a full-time thing, which I'm very happy about. Um, but yeah, it just kind of, um, I don't want to say it was a coincidence or was it, it just was at the right place at the right time where I, I happened to be moving back to this area and uh, they needed somebody to, to help run that tap room and it just kind of all worked out. Yeah. Or Dan showed up for his interview in, uh, in a three-piece suit with a chain, uh, gold chain on. So like, we got to hire this guy. He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He knows what he's doing. (laughs) I hope you're not joking. I'm not. (laughs) That a boy. I need that photo. I need that photo, boys. 
That's awesome. That's what you want, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to, if anyone ever does that, that's the rule. You got to hire them straight away. I love it. The let's jump into the next beer and then we can keep, yeah, uh, yeah. we can keep going down that train. So, what do you guys uh, now? It's like choose your own adventure. What are we feeling? What's the vibes? I would say exhibition IPA probably makes the most sense next. Perfect. So, this is a session IPA at uh, 4.5, whereas I think the cream ale was 5.5. Yes. And this one's uh, this one's been around a while, I think, right? It has, but uh, there's a bit of a story behind it. So we'll get into that after we start the beer. But we have been making this guy for, I want to say, since 2016, maybe 2016. Yeah. It's our flagship beer. Like this, yeah. is, this beer sells head and shoulders above everything else. Uh, it's the beer that I would say most people know us for these days. Um, you know, if, if there's long time Royal Sea fans listening to the podcast, you know, beers like Smoke Tiny and Hibiscus Saison and things like that are old school beers that we made. Uh, we still make, um, but, but people maybe knew us for at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I'd say in the last four or five years, yeah. this has been an one cycle. Yeah. That makes sense. I was, uh, I'm checking on, I always just log into untapped while I'm doing it. So I don't forget to do it later. And the first thing oh, no. things that come up with those two, be- oh no, it's a, this is just for my own records. Not, not like, a lot of people hate Untapped. And I understand why. I just, it's just like the easiest way. Have I had this beer? I've had like eight thousand and something. Yeah. Now I'm like, I got to keep track of it somehow. And uh, the uh, first, hey, no, go ahead. No, it's that was there were the first two beers that came up. That uh, yeah, when yeah. I type in Royal City, those ones were the. I remember drinking them back in the day. Yeah, the smoked honey and the uh, hibiscus. People love to hate on Untapped, and especially people in the industry. And and I get it because I don't really love it here. But it is. I know so many people that use it as that useful tool that just like, there's so many beers now that you're like, did I, have I had this before? Have I not had this yeah. before? You know, yeah. Do I want to buy it? Did I like it when I had it? I, that makes so much sense. Yep. Yeah. It's like beforehand and, and this is ridiculous, but I used to, I, I used to sync my Instagram post to Tumblr. Then I used to go into Tumblr, copy and paste it into a spreadsheet. Then have to go into like the spreadsheet on my phone. I did that for the first like 3000 beers. Now I'm like, that's insane. Yeah, I'm like, this is fucking redundant. I need to move on. So then now, it's just like the easiest way. And I always try to, I like actually have back in the day when I was trying to just rack up as many numbers just because yeah. the point of what I was doing was numbers. I didn't, no, I always reviewed them mostly from the beginning, but sometimes I started just drinking it. I'm like, I'll review it when I have it again. But now I make sure I do it straight away so I know if I've had it and then I can just drink it for fun, which I'm enjoying more lately because this whole thing's a ordeal. That's our uh, count admin uh, made me that for Christmas a couple of years ago. Where am I going? There, there we go. Spreadsheets uh, needlepoint. A spreadsheet's in needlepoint. That is spectacular. I love a spreadsheet as well. You're a spreadsheet man? Oh, yeah. To my detriment, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, God damn it, Kev. Gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers. Yes. That in you. Cheers. Great nose. Glorious. That's nice, man. So this is more like I would consider this like a like it's American pale ale type of style. Yep. Um, always mm-hmm. curious, why did you guys go? Because I feel like obviously it's like debatable maybe you guys actually might have a, a more of a reason but session ipa versus pale ale was there uh was that like a a decision or was that just kind of like 
when you did it, that was what was popping at the time. Like, what's the thinking behind that? Um, it's a good, great, great question. Um, the rationale for me when we named the beer a session IPA is that it was clearer what it was versus a pale ale. Um, okay. it, it is going to be a little bit more hop forward. I think at the time that this was coming out, you still had a lot of just kind of like more English style pale ales on the market. Right. Um, and yeah. It kind of expectation a little bit more of what this was and what it wasn't um so if we call it yeah like eight, is that nomenclature going to be as clear maybe nowadays maybe but, now, but maybe not so much then um so yeah we went session ipa just because hey that's what this is it's it's a low alcohol ipa gotcha um i it, that makes a lot of sense especially because mm-hmm. you said it was 2016 that this started oh i was yeah, yeah I was, I, I, the, yeah i i feel like that's around the time that uh Pale ales in Ontario had like had a pretty distinctive um, flavor profile. Like, like, like there was a whole thing of almost every almost everyone in Ontario was like was making like the uh, like the trademark like crystal malt uh, that the like kind of like kind of sweet, very uh, like very low hop presence pale ale kind of amber in color. It, it like it, it was a thing pretty much everywhere in the province. And this is, of course, very distinct from that. <laughs> mm. okay. um, Thank you. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> In my yes, opinion. yes, it is. Um, I agree. Mm-hmm. What are the hops in this yeah. one, by the way? Uh, it is, yeah, no, no worries. Uh, it's Amarillo Citra Mosaic. Love so it. kind of like that, that kind of mid, mid-teens uh, triumvirate of uh, IPA hops, definitely. Mm. Um, it's so bright and so tropical. It's so fragrant. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I think so too. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's, this is I mean, great. This beer too. I mean, Cam, Cam will probably talk to her a little bit more, but it, um, it wasn't. I don't want to say it wasn't always this way. This beer we've been making for a long time, and the first couple years, I think we just didn't know what we wanted it to be, and it changed a bunch of times until it got to what it is yeah. now. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um. Dan's being very polite when he's saying it sucked for the first two years. <laughs> I'm more than happy to admit that. Um, or to, to spell that out <laughs> as it is. Um, you know, I think part of that learning curve I was talking about earlier when we were, we first got off, uh, got off the ground. Um, you know, I remember like, again, like, I, I love, I love an anecdote. So here we go. Strap in. Um, I was at one of the pubs in town here that's kind of notorious for having crappy draft because their, their, their draft system, you, anyway, they, 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 it's not good. Um, and somebody bought me a beer, one of these, uh, a pint of X at this bar and I drank the, drinking this. I'm like, this is fucking terrible. What the hell? Um, and I was like stupid bar in their draft system. Uh, and then I started thinking about it more and I had a couple others. I'm like, no, this is, this is not good. This is not what we want. Um, and kind of really made me at the time go back and kind of look at how we made this beer and what the process behind this beer. And this is when I kind of really became uh, you know, a disciple for just paying so much more to close attention to how we make the beer. It's not so much, I'm not saying like, like the recipe or the ingredients or that stuff doesn't matter in the beer, or the, like how that, how that's built. It doesn't matter. It, it absolutely does very much. But like, you know, if you want to reduce it to the simplest piece, you know, process is going to be what sets different beers apart. Mm. I always go back to this analogy and it's, it's stupid and simple, but like what's the difference between like a homebrewer's Pilsner, my Pilsner, Steam Whistle's Pilsner and Pilsner Quell? 
It's just how you make it. The recipe is the same, effectively the same anyway. Uh, it's, it's how you get that grain into that t- through that system and into that can or that bottle or wherever it's coming out in. Um, and so kind of this kind of led us to this, this position where like, you know, really focusing on how we are treating the product and how it's moving through our brew house and through our process. Um, and that's what really kind of led to the, the epiphany here, uh, not to put like, you know, not to give any, anything away. Uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of smoking gun for me was that I really like drinking. We used to make X and cask quite a bit, which kind of got me some shit from some purists because, you know, it's an IPA. What are you putting in a cask for or West coast pale? Or what are you putting it in a cask for? Right. Uh, it needs carbonation, it needs effervescence. I'm like, well, yeah, but it, you know, Yeast also lead to biotrans, like you know, fermentation leads to biotransformation, which leads to the release of some of those some of those compounds as well. And we're noticing that, hey, what the hell is happening here? That the X coming out of casks is what I want. It tastes really good to me, um, but the draft stuff doesn't. Like, what what's the piece here? Hmm. Um, basically, we narrowed in on reformentation. So X referments. X gets two ferments. Um, so it gets ferment. Uh, it gets a, a primary. Uh, it gets reprimed, um, and then it gets dry hopped and refermented uh, with the dry hop on the dry hop. Um, and we okay. notice at which point it's also gets carbonated. It's so carbonated. It gets yeah, it's it's spongy. So um, the uh, that was the big one for me. Is just like okay, so that refermentation piece is, is the key here, and then that's when we learned really clearly how to how to control for and, and how important do is in beer. Um, made us look at a lot of our, our process. Um, you know, we did the math on, you know, our, our, we have food grade CO2 coming in according to Praxair uh, or Lindy now. Um, that's 99.9 or 99.8% pure CO2. Well, it's 0.2% air. Air is 17% oxygen. Do that math out. You're already over your PPB just by carbonating your beer. Mm. Uh, PPB is just by carbonating the beer uh, or force carbonating it. Um, so yeah, that kind of that was a pretty big eye-opening experience for us at the brewery here. And now, whenever we have the option to or opportunity to, we spund all of our tanks uh, and carbonate everything as close to fully natural as we can. Hmm. Um, and so yeah, we went from basically that experience at that bar in Guelph. Well, I won't name them just because you know they're friends. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they know who they are. Um, <laughs> Clean <yeah>. uh, <laughs> It wasn't a different story. It wasn't the long, part of the plan that is the line, but said, that's another angle. Anyway, um, but, uh, you know, and then basically that was in 2018 that we had that uh, had that moment and kind of looked back and worked this, spent most of that year working this beer back, working it out. And then in 2019, we won uh, at the Canadian Brewing Awards, we won a gold medal for that beer in 2019. Nice. Um, so basically being able to say, this isn't good. We want to do this better uh, and figuring out how to do that. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of, that's, that's how X became in its current iteration at that time in 2019. It still had just a little bit of caramel malt in it. Matt, <laughs> Matt has fixed that now. Um, so caramel maltless or crystal maltless in this guy. Uh, it was caramel maltless. Uh, so we are, we are, uh, we're clear of that now, but, uh, I, I yeah. think the other sort of came aha came moment was when we're sitting in the back and they're carbonating the beer the old way. And the whole brewery smells amazing. Yeah. Right? You're like, no. Why? We, we, we want that smell in the beer, yeah. not in the brewery. Yeah. We do. We do <laughs> yeah. A lot of expensive hops up the chimney. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's just, I think, you know, one of the things that we try to try to bake into the DNA of the company here is it's, it's we want to be, you know, it's a constant improvement. Um, 
you know, in, in the industry right now in this province, like customers are spoiled for choice, right? You yeah. can't like rest on your laurels or, or whatever laurels you have. You have to constantly be trying to make things better and improve. Um, and I think this beer kind of is a testament to, to that. You know, we, we were able to do that once. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's cool. Um, but uh, yeah, kind of baked into the baked into the way we try. We try to think, I think, is uh, by just, you know, how it's good, but can we do it better? Hmm. I like um, it. Sorry, go on, on. No, that's it. I'm just, just muttering now. No, no, okay. this is, this is great. And I love, this is really cool to have all that context as well, that this was like a work in progress for a while. And you guys actually, you know, like proactively really like dialed it in. I also really like that it's your flagship and that it's like a, an American style, you know, session IPA at a time like Nate, I'm saying this cause Nate and I are big, big into Westies American style. Like, you know, love haze, like haze is our jam, but I feel like this, this obviously we were all drinking this style like a decade ago plus, and this was what we all got excited about. And then in this day and age, it's sort of few and far between. So when you get one and it's, you know, and the, usually the ones when you get them are actually pretty damn good because the breweries who even bother to do them have some sort of passion about that style yeah, they care or they it. just, yeah. Or they just do haze. So like, it's, it's just such a, like a, a palate cleanser, I guess. And this is so, this is fantastic. I'm really, I'm kind of like surprised that it's, that it's the flagship, but also not surprised because it's so good. I'm like, it makes me sort of encouraged that there's enough uh, people wanting this style of beer. You know, it's, it's also like, it's not straight Westy where it's like a, a, a tongue stripping, like, you know, palate wrecker thing. Like it's, it's super like light and bubbly and bright is the main thing I got straight away when I cracked a can. Like yeah. it's, it's fantastic. And it's even cool to hear that story that you guys, you know, worked it and took that amber out of it and stuff like that. And now it's just like wicked, like you could mistake it for a lager damn near. So it's uh love to hear it, man. That's great shit. I'm very happy it, to hear it. It's uh, it's, uh I would say our brewery, although the beers that we sent you guys and that we'll drink tonight maybe aren't the truest reflection just because of the time of year and we're starting to get into bigger beers, but we tend to do a lot of beers that are 5% and below. Right. Like often on our tap list, there's at least four, maybe five beers that are five or below. Uh, Exhibition's always on there, but... Um, we usually brew like a, a lower alcohol saison called Boro Time that we have on a lot. We have like a, an English style bitter that's four point two. We have like a bunch of beers that are are we like drinking lower alcohol beers. I would say, and I know a lot of people do have low ABV beer not, beers not too. But we've been brewing these styles of beer for a long time because like we want to be able to sit and have a few beers with our friends and not be like crunched up in the corner after one can of beer. Uh, because it's 12% alcohol. And I, I don't get me wrong. I like those too, but like for a social occasion, you know, having four and a half, four percent three and a half percent beers is a great thing. Agreed. Yeah. I'm, yep. I'm personally a, a big fan of like low ABV stuff just for the volume. I sometimes prefer you more times. I prefer the volume and you to have like, I found, I bet that's like all of us, you end up with like a cellar of beers because they're all the higher ABV stuff that is harder to find an occasion to get into. Absolutely. And um, I end up having like Wednesdays, I call it like big beer Wednesday. And that's when I go and do like, if I don't, if I eat and don't have any other beers, I can do two cans or bottles of something, maybe not two 750s, like one 750 or something smaller of like 10, 12%. And I'm in business and I'm getting through 
things slowly that you know yeah so it's uh, uh it's the only way otherwise uh, when are you gonna, you're gonna have like five beers are you gonna throw in a 10 percenter at the end of that like if you're up making bad decisions yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i think i'm too old for that brother I have about a 10-year run of uh, semi-clouds release in my beer fridge downstairs right now that I still haven't had a chance to get into. Like I, Every year I buy four or five of them. It's like, oh, it's the 2023. Whatever, let's get these. Of which uh, beer? And, of uh, semi It's like an Austrian, like, really strong. It's like a it's like ice a Bach beer, basically. Oh, okay, okay. Like, the only Austrian beer. That's not the, the only Austrian beer. But, but the one, one of the Austrian you know, Yeah, the ones you get right. Yeah. Really. Uh, this or in that, probably yeah. only two. And see. they bring it out at Christmas usually. Yeah. And to be honest, you can't even drink it the first year. You got to You got to let it sit. Yeah. But yeah, I don't even manage to get to it after year 10. So it's uh, a <laughs> uh, deal. It's just a lot, yeah. man. I have a bottle. Ren Navarro gave me a bottle of, it was Royal City Anniversary Ale. And it was like a bottle with a red label. Ooh, Three's Company. That's the one. That's from seven years ago. That's from seven years ago, yeah. Yeah, so she's sitting I, – I was probably in her cellar, and she gave it to me and I want to say, 2019, 2018. And uh, it's just one – you know how it goes. It's just so, – What's before. the, uh, what's the ABV easy. on that? Yeah, what is uh, the ABV? 12, it's uh, 11.9. What's the style? Okay. Uh, it's a wheat wine. A wheat wine. Oh, okay. So, 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 okay, so that should be holding up just fine then. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Okay, so I think we have one still. I might have one in there. Yeah, I don't know. No, I don't. No, um, but yeah, don't, don't encourage me. A few out in the wild still. Um, I'd be very interested. It's actually more than eleven nine, but for excise purposes, it's eleven nine. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I wasn't ready for this style when she when I got this. Now I'm like I'm about it. Oh, you're, yeah, you're you're much you're you're much better with that now. Yeah, I was a bit soft <laughs> back in the day. I just wasn't into like barley wines or wheat wines or anything. And now I'm like one of my boys told me he was like, "Why do you like stouts? The big stouts." I'm like, "Ah, oh, it's chocolatey. It's like, you know, like it's it's you know they have all the whatever. It's adjunct. It's just this big beautiful thing and all coffee and all this stuff." He's like, "Well, think of a barley wine as like that." But like caramel and nutty, and I was like, "Huh, okay." And then I started trying barley because I don't know. I felt like it was just not my thing for a while. Now I'm like, "Oh, okay." So then I've had a couple of wheat wines now as well. And I'm like, "All right, I'm I'm with the shit." So seven seven years is uh, I have to bust yeah, out I, soon. I thought over the holidays. That'd be very cool. Uh, tell that tasting these days for sure. That'd I'll definitely message you when I have it. Um, it was I'm, a little hot when we released it for sure, but uh, okay, seven years. I think I think you're gonna have to I think you're gonna have to make that like a Christmas day beer or something it's not a bad idea I mean trying to already start thinking about that because there's so much stuff I'm like all right how are we gonna do this just to try and like yeah, get yeah. people over to like split it just it's the other yeah. that's the other way is when you got to split yeah, it. You, yeah you gotta already be thinking about your holiday lineup because mm. like who does bottle yeah, shares well, anymore I feel like COVID kind of ruined bottle shares you know what I mean yeah. And that was, yeah. I had one in January, 2020, oh, bro, God, I've never vomited so hard in my life. We did, <laughs> um, we did a, uh, a, a, I think we had, I want to say 13, it must've been more th different goods. So it was with like my mega, mega beer nerd friends in Montreal and they, 
did a blind goose tasting. So they had this whole thing to like, so nobody knew there was four of us and we had all of these mini glasses and they all had to bring their glasses. Cause one dude didn't have enough for four people with 13 glasses each. And we all had to kind of like guess which ones they were. And I'm like, I don't know. And then you have that. And then in between, let's have a break. Let's have a 12% bar Canada stout and let's have this haze. And then all of a sudden the, 30 beers later like yeah i woke up You're with my girlfriend wrecked. at 4 a.m just aggressively monster vomiting and uh <laughs> now i don't do bottle shares <laughs> i'm too old uh, bros. too old for that yeah. shit so i want to enjoy this beer that's why i don't want to like bust something like that out at a ridiculous time it's got to be right all these beers are too good to just be like putting it in the butt in the toilet you know it's, it's kind of <laughs> I mentioned before that that uh, when I was living in Toronto, I did uh, Prudhomme, and I eventually ended up doing my uh, Master Beer Sommelier certification through Prudhomme as well. But I remember we did our uh, Belgian tasting day, mm-hmm. and so we're t- tasting like doubles and triples and quads, and, and uh, we're halfway through that, and I had to call. Like I, at that point, I was living back in Kitchener and, and driving to, to Toronto once a month to do my class, and I had to call my buddy. Tyrone and just be like, hey man, uh, can I sleep at your house tonight? We're doing thing, and I don't think I should drive home. And he was like, yeah, sure. He's like, are you? Isn't it like a class? <laughs> yeah, it's a class. He's like, hey, great. Yeah, and to be fair, that, that beverage management two class that I went to back in the day, we used to have a newspaper to pick your classes, and it uh, said in bold type in the uh, newspapers, "Do not drive to this lab." <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like let's best class ever. Yeah, yeah those are uh, those are some heavy hitters. All the Belgian, like I learned about all the Belgian stuff at beer market because I remember Dan, you bust out like that golden Carolus stuff. So I don't know wh- why, but I remember we just you were in some of those beer photos back because you just like yeah, let's bust that out and like you got that post shift beer and like you were telling just guiding me through it because I didn't know what Jupiler was or um, what's that wicked strawberry uh, stuff with F. Truly. Oh God, that bro, that changed my life. I used to get that all the time then. I started buying like the four packs from the LCBO. Fruly was the best. Like you had a little nice little raspberry, strawberry cookie, chocolate covered cookie with that shit. Oh my God. Buying four packs, there goes your uh, that shit was expensive. (laughs) Oh (laughs) it was right. And they're like two fifty mil bottles, those little guys with the little with the little foil. But it was cool to learn about like the Belgian stuff. Yeah, it was dangerous too. But it was it's it's I can imagine doing a class is you know bad enough working at a place that had that stuff. And I wasn't a bartender because I don't know if dudes are just like one for you, one for me, like or you know, (laughs) I I didn't have access to the taps like that. Although I did have access to the beer fridge, but I was not a thief, unfortunately, for me. Um, <laughs> fortunately for the business, you know, um, yeah. I worked the Toronto Festival of beer once, ooh. uh, market. And at the end we we're all like, okay, well we all, we can all have a beer now, but the only kegs that were left were fruity. And I think like, like pints of fruity. <laughs> it uh, becomes a lot. It, it becomes a little much after a while. Like it tastes yeah. good, but at, at halfway through even a pint, you're just like, this is a lot right now. <laughs> The diabetes is hitting. <laughs> oh man, just I feel like that was almost like that. And those uh, Morsubi, I don't know if I'm Morsubi, the the, yeah. the creek, and the, they also had a, um, I think a f- strawberry as well. If I'm not a phrase in the creek, them they were like the precursor almost to like smoothie sours. I feel like Fruly was like I have to have it now. Maybe I'd be like, okay, it's not. But in my head, it's this thick, like you know. 
strawberry yeah. shaky type of thing. It probably was not. But it's, it's less shaky, but it's vi- it's a little bit viscous yeah. because it has resi- residual sugar in it. Gotcha. Right? So yeah, like it, it's more viscous than a beer than a typical beer, but it definitely wasn't like the smoothie stuff that people are making now. Gotcha. Okay, I got I got to have them again recently. I just used to get them back in my early days. I'd get them because of beer market as like a like a weekend like the last beer of the night I would split it and have it with dessert or something and it was just like such a treat. It was just so ever, good. Yeah, man. It's a whole, a whole Pardon? Did you ever mix it half and half with delirium? No. You didn't tell me about no. that. Oh jeez. Worst manager <laughs> ever. It was called <laughs> call it delirium. Yeah. <laughs> what did it do did it like just like mellow it out a bit or something or? yeah it was just like strawberry you know oh. strawberry and then super delirium's like whatever nine percent alcohol or whatever i thought seven so something like that that uh, that delirium glass and topped it up with fruity and then people just oh I you know the shooter yeah oh man i missed that because i wasn't a bartender I got that's screwed. dangerous i like that that's money <laughs> um i know we had a whole tangent right then where were we okay opening of royal city so 2013 completely different landscape at the time Absolutely. um what did that look like what beers did you guys open with back then yeah uh day one i want to say we had two stouts because why not hell yeah uh, we had uh, smoked honey we had a uh, dry hopped pale ale we call it and still call it that i guess we need a better name for that these days i was very literal back in the day and i was like probably from my my time in Germany is like, this beer has dry hops in it and it is a pale ale. It is called dry hop pale ale. Um, it says in the tin. Um, we got away from that now, um, thankfully. Got brands. Are, what, better the marketing the, side. The, ba- the main thing that, that didn't make sense was on, on beer menus. We'd be like at beer bars yeah, yeah. and it would say like, Royal City dry hop pale ale. And then in the style part, it would say dry hop pale, pale ale. ale. <laughs> <laughs> You're so nice. They named it twice. Right? Yeah. No. <laughs> but uh, we opened with that. We opened with two stouts. We opened with smoked honey. Um, I think it's something Belgiany on too, or Belgian adjacent. Kind of a like a a, a a weak attempt at a saison, I would say, or Belgian pale ale. Um, but yeah, we opened on opening day. We had six beers. Um, yeah, the, the the first beer we made that I, I kind of made was smoked honey. That was like kind of the one that. We wanted to just do something a little different. Mm. Um, that's kind of why we were a little late to the game with something like X, our exhibition. Um, you know, early days, it was like, hey, everybody makes IPA. Let's make something different. Let's do something different. Um, and I was wrong. <laughs> everyone makes IPA. Everyone wants to drink. Um, so we started doing things a little differently uh, with, with that. Uh, you know, um, basically, again, it's kind of just an experience, a mashup of my, my kind of background and my experiences. I love South German lagers. I love smoked lager. I love English ale. Let's mash up an English brown ale and a smoked German lager. And here it is. It's smoked honey. Uh, nice. We had a lot of access to a lot of honey uh, back in the day. We still do, uh, just due to uh, Russ, the uh, business, uh, the other owner and business partner here. Uh, his wife's a beekeeper. She's a lot of pretty big beekeeper friends. So we had a lot of access to honey. And so we kind of wanted to threw that in as an adjunct. Uh, you know, we, we couldn't obviously couldn't, we couldn't pasteurize at the time, so we had we had to ferment it. Uh, so it went into the kettle, um, and it just acted as an adjunct. It just it bumped up the alcohol, but kept the body down in the beer. So you wind up with a pretty dark beer in a can or a glass um, that actually drinks fairly light for what it looks like. 
um, or what it actually is, um, and the alcohol in it. Um, so yeah, we kind of it was it was a little different. Um, I think we we as a company we kind of tried to move away from that beer, not move away, but just kind of again shift the focus to the other things that we're doing now. Right. But every time we like, stop brewing that, like everyone's asking where is it? And we put another batch of it out, and it's gone again in like a week and a half or two weeks. And I'm like shit, now we got to make. <laughs> And it's, it's not that we don't want to make it it's just like it just it feels like it's just I've, it feels like, like for a while, legacy kind of thing, yeah people know? like pigeonhole us into like oh yeah those are the guys that make that smoked brown beer while we were trying to do other things like exhibition and you know um, you know great hazy pale ales or, or great uh, Belgian style stuff or whatever and everyone, everyone just knew us for that one like weird idiosyncratic beer right uh, so again there's nothing against that beer that beer you know, paid the bills for a long time, yeah, but we, but. we consciously tried to be like, Oh, we don't just do this. We do these other things too. Um, but yeah, people just, this is, sounding, this is sounding very much like the story of Nickelbrook and the green apple Pilsner. Yeah. <laughs> fair yeah, enough. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember I used to work at they, they, they very much explain it the same way that, uh, that like it's, um, it, like it's the beer that they became known for. And, uh, like the one that, it, that like, even when they were wanting to move away from it, yet it was one of the ones that paid the bills. And so like in the early years. <laughs> yeah. I, I worked at Volo in our bar Volo in Toronto and kind of right around that time period. And that was launched. And like, I remember we couldn't keep that in kegs. It was just like, we got a cup. The, the, the night they stay, those things arrived. Everyone wanted that beer. Wow. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was hot. It was hot potato back in the day. That's, but, uh, that's kind of yeah. fascinating. When did I have it? That's twenty six. I must have had it before then. That's some. Um, that's so it, it, fascinating. Around then, pardon. I say like two thousand eight. Around about then. The check in I have was from twenty sixteen, but I didn't use Untap for for a little while, so I might have had it before that. But if you guys opened twenty thirteen, I must have had. There was a point. Maybe I was just getting your stuff at, at one point there, but that's it's pretty cool that like you've. You know, a beer like this is still around. So, do you, what have you decided to do? Like, do you keep it year round, or do you like do it? I don't know, quarterly, every other month, something like that. It's uh, so it was a it was an LCBO listing for us for the longest time. Uh, it was our first our first LCBO listing uh, back in five hundred mil glass. Uh, yeah, but it is still listed at grocery. Um, so we do have to make it fairly regularly, keep stock of it, just so that we can fulfill those grocery orders. Gotcha. Excuse me, but it is something that uh, again we are trying to switch that up a little bit, um, just to put something different on grocery shelves. Um, so, but yeah, I would say it would probably be like a quarterly brew going forward once we can make that switch happen at, at that channel. I think it would make sense for us. We've been talking about making it a seasonal for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely see ebbs and flows of it through the year, where we definitely some more in the cooler months. Mm-hmm. Uh, it mm-hmm. Probably makes sense to do it more in the fall or whatever. Yeah. But again, having it in the grocery store right now commits us to doing it on a regular basis, which is fine. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, it, it, like we said, we don't want to get away from it. There's nothing wrong with the beer, but you do all these things to like, try and be like, yeah, we're doing these other things. And then people are like, where's the smoked honey? Okay. Yeah. Like, God damn it. <laughs> I get it. It's got to be like a little bit annoying. It's like a, I guess a good problem in the sense that yeah. people want something right, but it's like you want to sort of, hey, but we also do this stuff that we really worked hard on. But I definitely, I definitely get it. It's, yeah, um, people are drinking it, we're going to make it. So that, that's it. If, if yep. people, people 
Uh, this, this is going back to that, uh, I didn't want to make IPA because everyone does. Well, you, you don't get to tell the market what it what wants. Want. Yeah. You listen to what the market wants and you, you, you provide. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. It, 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 you know, ideally, would it be great if we could, you know, focus on other things that we do and we do, we do well? Yeah. But ultimately, like, people want to buy this and they want us to make it. We're going to make it. Yeah, no, it yep. makes sense. It's um, it's very cool that once again, just the people still are interested in a beer that's that's sort of yeah. like time stamped a little bit. Absolutely, like, you know, Absolutely. I, I I think it's kind of cool. I've always I noticed a bit of a like even in like myself and a lot of my sort of friends uh, who are fellow beer nerds, like in our beer drinking tendencies have kind of changed, and sort of like coming back around. Like I was saying earlier, you start on the you know, the lagers and the Euro lagers, and then you get into Belgians and like brown ales, porters, stouts, and then then the hype stuff came and, you know, you get into, you know, haze and smoothies and pastry stouts and blah, 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 and then comes back around and now lagers are the shit again. And then maybe something like that has a little more, let's say meaning, but just more like, ah, oh, yeah, man, I like nostalgia is cool. Like nobody makes original movies or music anymore. Everything's got a sample from the 90s or they're remaking everything. So it's, it's, it sort of makes sense. That's just kind of part of culture from what it seems like it and you're, you know, bringing back a beer like that, that people are just like, yeah, man, I love that in 2013, 2014. So they might get excited about something like that, but whatever pays the bills yeah. in, uh, in this economy. And very much, it, I mean, it has been a, a beer that has evolved over the years for us as well. It, it is not the same beer that it was in 2013. Right. Um, and part of that is a reflection of how, how some of that taste has changed and how people's, people's tastes and expectations have changed. Mm. Um, I think, course. I think it's much better beer now than it was in 2013. So, but it's, uh, yeah, it is, it is definitely, as you say, a timestamp, I think very much. Love that. Yeah. Never, never a bad thing. Um, on that bad, note, shall we, uh, hit the next? Probably time to crack open another. Yeah. Um, so I would say let's do Goldie next. Mm-hmm. What I thought yes. you were going to say. This is our. He is a professional beer drinker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's our uh, <laughs> pale ale. Um, sort of fun, fun story about this. We have, uh, obviously, we had exhibition, uh, which is that same sort of orange color as the top. And then we have like a full strength, hazy IPA called Riverside, mm -hmm. which is sort of green color on the bottom. And for a long time, we didn't have anything sort of in the middle. Right. Um, so during COVID, um, because before that, we sold a lot of our beer in growlers and things like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of one-off and experimental stuff. Yes. We, we had to move to strictly cans. We just thought that was a better move. And so we had to come up with a way that our designer could make one-off cans in like a quick, affordable way so that we didn't have to – pay long design times for like every single new thing we wanted to put out. That makes sense. We came up with this, this like split thing. And usually there wouldn't be a logo in here. It would just say the beer name. And so we did Goldie a bunch of times to be that sort of middle ground between Riverside and exhibition. Uh, and then eventually when it got, you know, the recipe that we wanted to move forward with, it got its own label, but we kept the split thing because it kind of pays homage to the two beers that came before it. Uh, and also all of our, not all, most of our core hop forward beers at Royal City are named after parks uh, in Guelph. So Exhibition is, is a park, Exhibition Park, and then Riverside Riverside Park. And then we have uh, 
Golden Mills Park here in Guelph too. So yeah, Goldie's named after that. Yeah, it's like an old, old mill room in the 19th century. Nice. Okay, I didn't expect cool. that. I thought this would have been. Um, I mean, I know you just kind of explained it there, but I, I would have expected this to be maybe more on the American side. But this, I guess, it's like a. Uh, would you call it, this is just like a hazy hazy pale ale? Yeah, the hazy pale ale. Let's yeah, see I was. Uh, I was expecting uh, I was expecting kind of the same, and then when I started to pour, and then I also got the nose too. Like, there's a yeah. powerful tropical nose on this. I'm excited, yeah. gentlemen. Get that in you. So, cheers, cheers, yeah, cheers. Hell yeah! Right, I, I think it fits our sort of um, our style of beer in that it's still pretty light. It's easy drinking. Um, it has those tropical notes. And it has a little, you know, a hit of, of bitterness in it, maybe more than some other hazy pale ales would. And I think as a as a company, we tend to think that that bitterness provides a refreshing note on the back end mm-hmm. of beers. Mm-hmm. Not there aren't great hazy beers that that don't have a ton of bitterness in them. There definitely are out there, but ours tend to have a little bit more, and, and that's on purpose. We we do like even hazy beers to have a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, bitterness than maybe some other breweries do. Our beers in as a whole aren't super bitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not that, bitter, that brewery that's like pushing how much bitterness we can put into beer. Um, but we do definitely like to have it there just to have that pop of sort of yeah refreshingness at the end. I think it does a really good job of Avery, like kind yeah. of resetting your just a little bit. But it also, for me, it's like, I don't want to drink always. Sometimes I want to actually let me, let me start again. <laughs> the thing for me is because sometimes I do want to drink beer that's one for me. Like it's, it's just what it is. But I kind of like there'd always be a little bit of a journey when you drink a beer. You know, you want to start somewhere and wind up and, and take you somewhere. Mm. Um, and so I think like just having it do one note would kind of be a dis- dis- disservice to what we kind of like to do as, as, as beer drinker, or me as a, as a beer drinker, uh, is just kind of have that little kind of progress as you're going through that sip. And it does does a couple of things. It takes a couple of different places. I feel that that makes sense. Um, what were the hops on this one? Uh, this guy is uh, after your own heart. There, Craig gets uh, antipathy and wonder. It's uh, all galaxy and Nelson. So let's go. <laughs> what did you ah, call it? Antipathy and wonder. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I'm here for that. Yeah, man. This is um. This is solid. This is like super crushable, light, light and creamy, very different profile. Like the exhibition is like uh, spritzy and this is more of that creamy mm-hmm. kind of, uh, you know, more slightly decadent, even though it's like only a touch more ABV, very, very drinkable, bright and tropical, wicked hot burps off this bad boy. This, this, is, <laughs> yep. this is fantastic. How long has this one been around? And- oh. Oh, it was, I uh, it came out of the pandemic. We started making this in, I want to say 2020. Uh, I think it started its life out as a community collab actually. Um, so we do these uh, kind of, we're doing them monthly and then we change the program around a little bit. But we do a, we partner with a local like charity NGO, uh, you know, not for profit. Uh, and just do a beer with them every month, like one, a different group every month. Dope. Uh, just raise money and awareness for that group uh, in the city here. Uh, we do a donation per can back to them, but they'd come in, they'd, they'd brew with us, they'd tell us what style of beer they wanted to make. Um, so I think this one started out its life as that, and we're like, oh, this one was kind of too good to be a one-off, so let's let's see what we can do to refine it and hone it right in, and then kind of co-opt it and re- re- re-release it as our own. Um, 
So yeah, that, that's kind of where it started. I want to say that happened during the pandemic. So during the pandemic, the community collabs were like obviously virtual. Uh, we would still brew the beers, but the people wouldn't really come in and participate like they used to. Um, but uh, yeah, it started out at then. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, 20, in a 2020, I want to say. 2020-ish. Uh, Nate, yeah. sorry, I cut you off uh, asking that question. Um, uh, you know what? I was just going to be talking tasting notes, but I forgot what I was going to say. So don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. No. Well, the tasting notes definitely that, that is probably the next uh, the next thing here. It's it's, uh, it's lots of like pithy citrus for sure, like grapefruit. Yeah. Um, bit of pineapple. Um, just the citrus is super heavy, but it's 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 like like you guys said, like you do a lot of beers that are like five and under, so it sort of fits. It feels like these three beers so far feel very much on brand, like very consistent. Like, all right, makes sense that these guys do this style. Um, and it's cool that you've been able to do a, you know, more the American style plus a New England style as well. So keeping sort of the, you know, keeping a sort of foot in from where you guys started whilst also, you know, rolling with the times of what the kids are drinking now and stuff. So it's, and you, and you executed this super well, like, I'm a, I'm definitely mm-hmm. a fan of pay. I feel like paleos get fronted on heavy. I really I love paleos. People like don't. I don't know. But I just feel like in an eclectic drinking night, it's like a it'd be a nice sort of like you know, as you're moving from the crispies into the IPA world, it's like a nice little like gentle, you know, warm up. Personally, I'm I'm a big fan. I just find they're not very common overall. At least I agree. I feel like a lot of people just go big, and it's mm. just like just strength. Big IPAs, more you know, uh, more hops, more body, more whatever, and that's fine. I have nothing against those things. There, we we like that too. Like I said, we have a a full strength hazy called Riverside Dew, which is great. But again, I don't always want to drink seven percent beers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, right. So, and and that was kind of our thing. It was like, well, and, and we, you said, you know, what the kids are drinking. Our joke too was always like. You know, if you look on on everybody's Instagram profile these days, it's it, everyone's drinking orange juice, right? So, it, yep. you know, we had Riverside, and then I was like, you know, I like drinking this beer. I don't always want to drink seven percent. Let's do something in the in the middle. And then Matt made this for, sort of for that community collab, and uh, we're like, yeah, it, it. We like drinking this. It takes the like what the cool kids are drinking box. Um, it should be a good release, and, it, and and since we released it, it's our it's our like third highest. Like, so we've That's had our th- there you go. That's sick. On that note about what the kids are drinking, then in Guelph, because obviously each community and each sort of region have different maybe drinking habits and stuff. Could you guys like characterize sort of what's popping? I mean, for Royal City, obviously you guys would know yourself, but like, is Guelph rep? You know, say if you look at. Ontario as a whole or Toronto, whatever, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like the stuff that people are drinking the most, like, is there any more like localized trends that you guys have identified that like, well, out here in Guelph, for some reason, cream ale is fucking every brewery's doing one, you know, something like that is, is there anything that's like, um, an interesting sort of like Guelph specific, uh, statistic as such? I don't, I don't think that there's much in the way that like a micro trend here that's different than the rest of the province at a whole. Okay. But what I, what I think about the market here that I, I really like about it is Guelph's been a beer town for 150 years. Mm. The, the beer drinkers here are generally really engaged and really like curious. Hmm. Um, hmm. Like trying to release something kookier out there. 
you know, people want want to try that. Uh, they're very adventurous. They're very they're they're seeking here. I would say, you know, we've had the fortune. You were talking earlier about the, you know those five breweries in Guelph. We've had the fortune of being a brewing center here um, for right, about 150 years. Um, when we opened right at kind of the, the crest of the the, the 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 start of the third wave of kind of craft brewing in Ontario, we didn't really have to sell what we were doing to anyone. Everyone was already really keen and and, and want, as on board, right? Hmm. You know, we'd had Sleeman here, we'd had Wellington here since the '80s, we had Stonehammer here since the '90s. Like the market here has always been really craft beer friendly and beer friendly in general. Hmm. Um, they're already they already know what's happening. They already know what the styles are here. They like people want to try different things that we're doing. So I would say from that perspective, like the local market here is just, is really receptive to to what we do and to what like kind of craft breweries in general do. Um, so it's a, a big benefit we had starting up here. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't have to blaze a trail. There's already a highway here for us to drive down. Um, and it just kind of let us take off and start running um, mm. when we started. So, that's, you know, as far as the local market goes, it's just people here like beer. People here want to try different cool stuff. I, I would say there is a little bit of a, not a, it's not a pocket. I don't know what you want to call it, but, I would say you do see a little bit more British style beer in that's Guelph true. than you might see other places. Yeah. And British I think that has a lot to do with like Wellington being here for a long time. Yep. Um, they yeah, kind yeah. of that stuff back in the day. They do less of it now, but um, you know, there's a lot of like older drinkers here that grew or grew up or came up or whatever drinking those sort of uh, English styles from Wellington. And so yeah. We do some of those styles too to be sort of true to the area, and, and, and to be fair, we like drinking them too. Um, yeah. But there is a market where a lot of people have a hard time selling, you know, uh, an English bitter. Uh, we sell our English bitter really well. Yeah. Like, it goes quick, yeah. um, and so you have those those drinkers that that are kind of used to those styles that maybe you don't have in other places. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, that's good context. I'm trying to get like a bit of a feel. Um, we went to Guelph recently. I didn't hit you guys up because we just went to, there's a cafe called Found that's also in Toronto. And I just wanted some Vegemite. And I was like, well, it's close, closer to go to Guelph <laughs> from Hamilton than it is to go to Toronto. So we went up there, grabbed the, grabbed the coffee, yeah. grabbed that. We're like, oh, let's take the dog for a walk in, in Guelph. Cause I did a show, cause I do music. I did a show in Guelph in 2014. I don't even remember what the venue was, but we went, you pull up, it's nighttime, you do that, you get, you leave. So like, I didn't see it and we're walking around downtown we're like where's all these people here we're like oh fuck it's a brewery it's, it's a brother's right like in that downtown part and i'm like okay so i want to come back more and come see you guys and come see karen and stuff at wellington and just really like soak it up out there so one thing since we're talking about the area and things that you guys are doing like it seems like it's a really close-knit beer scene out there it is a fair there's five main breweries in guelph yeah, yeah? Just uh, actually, there's six, uh, six as of about a month ago. So yeah, who's the uh, six? We had a, uh, Wrinkly Bear. Oh really? Like they grew up in Grand Valley, uh, and they just moved down to the city, uh, the big city. Uh, <laughs> uh, about yeah, they came down in the spring, and they opened up about maybe a month ago, a month and a half ago. Yeah, I think they were up in Grand Valley though for a while. Like they're not yeah, like they're not, no, they're not a new brewery now. They're not new. They're not, Excuse my extreme Ontario ignorance. Uh, where's Grand Valley? Uh, about thirty k west of Orangeville. Okay, Orangeville is where Sun and Hill is, right? Uh, kind of. Uh, cool. Sun Hill is kind of east of Aaron. Yeah, close. Anyway. South of Orangeville. Yeah, it's, it's gotcha. the same neck of the woods. Same yeah. neck of the woods. So same general Caledon region. Gotcha. Kind of, to... yeah. 
little north of Caledon, but yeah. The, uh, so if you go out nine, like it's it's out Highway Nine from uh, from uh, Orangeville. Gotcha. Okay, what? So with wrinkly that, bear, okay. Wrinkly Bear is that what's called? Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Check that out. So one thing I think that you guys are doing that uh, you know we've been talking about you know for the last little bit with you guys um, is the Guelph beer bus thing, which I just think is like. I feel like I, I bring it up to a lot of people because I just feel like it's the, it's such a phenomenal initiative. And it's like, isn't it just, it's, it's still crazy to me. Like even after all these years of talking to amazing humans in beer and just understanding this collaborative like approach to the industry that is completely unique to beer. The fact that you guys have all come together and then you work with the city and you've got this, I mean, you guys can probably explain it better than I can, but just. You do great. Carry on. <laughs> okay. I mean, you guys, have, please correct me if I miss any of the nuance of it, because I, I just think it's cool. So I'm coming at this from just like a passionate consumer. Like you've got this series once a month, and I think it stops this. Has the last one happened? Or uh, this no, the last one, sixteen. Okay, so the you have this bus that goes between all of the five breweries. And I imagine you'll probably bring the sixth in on on the initiative, and it runs on as one Saturday per month between twelve and seven p.m. Is that right? That's right. Now, paying attention, Cam. And um, <laughs> basically, it, sh- it allows people to go to Guelph and just kind of jump on this bus that runs every 30 minutes from all the breweries and take you around. So you can go to all of the five breweries in an afternoon, well, you know, afternoon to evening uh, safely and not have to yep. worry about it and go and, you know, it encourages sort of, uh, you know, keeping it local and spending the money locally, uh, getting five completely different craft beer experiences at, at all of these breweries. Um I imagine there would be different sort of food options and, and all that type of stuff in each different place. It's just, I've never seen anything like it. I've never heard anything like it. I just think it's such a phenomenal um, collabor- collaborative idea. And, you know, working with the city, and you guys are all funding it and splitting it and, you know, working on it together and coming up with new ways to to make it more inclusive and do different things. And I'd love to just hear how that came about and sort of, you know, what you guys are planning to do with it. It's just, and I'd love to see other cities you know copy paste that shit and then you know put their own little twist on it it's it's brilliant i think it's just so good for an industry when we always say on the pod like you know in this economy it's rough times out here we see those two brewery closures i think this week alone uh and now three this week alone which is or maybe one was two last week and one this week either way it's fucked up um and it's really sad so like something like the this beer bus really does help in this time more yeah. than more than anything and it's not at no cost to the consumer like it's completely owned by the city and by by you guys who are you know really coming together to to do this so please i'd love to just hear a bit more about it please yeah i mean, I mean you, you got it pretty much pretty much all laid out right there that, that's pretty much it uh in a large nutshell um it's we started this organization um it really just kind of came out of like you know like you say it's about community. It's about about we're all in the same boat here in, in in as brewers in the city. And you know, there's some days that you know I'm out of this hop, and I pick up the phone, and it's like, hey, do you have any of this? And like, yeah, of course. And or hey, you know, our keg washer just took a dump. Can you, can you wash some kegs at your place? And it's like the answer is always yes, right? So like we've got these kind of kind of natural kind of networks amongst the five of us at the time. Um, when we first started this. It was Stonehammer was still around. It was before Fixed Gear was in business. We first started kind of moving towards this organization called Guelph.Beer, which ultimately became called Guelph.Beer. Um, the, uh, 
And we just kind of wanted to create like a more formal way to approach each other to ask for things. I guess that was it. It was kind of like, <laughs> hey, who do you to talk to at, at Sleeman when I need some lab work done? Like, that's really what it came down to. Um, and so you had some of the, myself, um, you had uh, Brent from Wellington, the owner of Welly, and Brad, uh, the marketing director of Welly, kind of, uh, and the former owners of, of uh, Stonehammer and the brothers from Brothers, kind of just, and uh, Chris Williams, who was the innovation brewer at Sleeman. Um, we kind of all just got together and just kind of sat around and started like, okay, you know, basically let's just have a few beers and shoot the shit. That's uh, kind of where it started. Um, and that kind of got a little more formal. We got to like, okay, well, what can we do? Like, we have this really cool beer culture and beer scene in Guelph, I think. I mentioned, you know, it's a 150 year old beer town uh, in Ontario. Um, we've got this really kind of cool setup here as well because for a city of our size we're like pretty much the only place in canada where you have a complete representation across the brewing industry you've got a brew pub downtown so pretty much as small as it gets and you've got the third largest brewing facility in the country in guelph in sleeman uh, that brewery is the third biggest plant in the country mm. um you've got welly and a regional brewer you have us and stonehammer and now fixed gear as kind of like local breweries distributing breweries um, and so it kind of gives a really good cross section of the industry as, as a whole from both a consumer and from a, anyone interested in looking at it. Uh, you know, you put BSG's, uh, brewery supply groups, uh, main Canadian operation in Guelph as well. Scarment Labs is based here as well. You've got this really kind of, kind of nexus of the industry in one, in one spot. And so we kind of started talking more about that. We're like, Hey, well, you know, we should share that with more people. We should figure out a way to kind of amplify what we feel and kind of broadcast that outside. Um, and so kind of we formed this organization. It ultimately became called Guelph.beer because apparently like the dot thing is something kids were doing at the time. The internet. The internet. <laughs> um, and uh, so we started this organization and it's kind of the, 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 uh, the intent of this organization basically is to kind of work promote Guelph as a beer destination or, or knowledge of Guelph as a brewing center. Um, and I kind of, the, like, you know, we started, started talking about how to make that happen and the beer bus just became one of those things we kind of floated. Like, hey, wouldn't this be cool if we could have like a hop on, hop off bus tour of Guelph breweries? And we called up Guelph Transit and they're like, do you want to do this? We're like, absolutely. So we have, you know, a dedicated bus route that is just, just runs one Saturday a month. It's a Guelph transit bus route. They all, the buses come down the hot saying Guelph beer, next stop, Royal city, next stop Wellington. Um, and, uh, yeah. And it, it's, it works so well because I think as a, as a group in this city, we all work very well together. Um, and it's because everyone's involved in it. It's not like, mm -hmm. Hey, there's like, there's, five breweries but only three of them are on the bus right it's like yeah. it's 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 everybody involved bought in to making this work and what we have to do to make it work uh and then it is a lot of work to put it on um there's a lot of organization that goes into it there's a lot of expense that goes into it um but ultimately it's a really cool experience um and uh, i think a lot of we've had a lot of really good feedback from folks that do it you know i think everybody that likes beer in guelph's ridden the bus a couple of times it's the third we're just finishing our third year doing it now um Everyone who loves beer in Guelph probably ridden the beer bus at least once. Um, but what we're starting to see is a lot of folks coming in from out of town to ride it because uh, they've heard about it. We uh, we got a uh, right up in the business front page of the business section of the Globe this year uh, about it. Uh, we actually just won an Ontario Tourism Award, the best culinary tourism event of the year uh, for the beer bus uh, in October. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. And again, I think it's just, it's, it's just a really good example of, you know, they always talk about Guelph being like this kind of like, you know, weird little hippie, hippie Mecca kind of thing. And, uh, that's kind of what it is. It's just, it's an exact reflection of that. I think, um, it works just cause it's a partnership between the city, the city, Guelph transit, all the industry in the town. So it, it, it kind of, it just, it's just a cool thing. And that's yeah, awesome. people have a lot of fun. So, so and cool, as you say, you know, the, the big one, the biggest appeals to us with running this is like, you know, it's a safe way to get everybody in our, in our spaces and out of our spaces and through our spaces. Uh, you know, if yeah. you're getting the boys to go on a brewery tour, somebody's stuck behind the wheel. Someone's not having a good night or as good a night as everybody else. Um, so, you know, this is a way to avoid that. You, you drop yeah. off any one of the breweries, you start and stop anywhere, you get someone to drop you off, you get on the car with your boys and away you go. Or boys it. or your girl. Whatever you have. And like Cam said too, the, the cool thing is that, you know, you do have all these breweries of varying size and age, mm-hmm. right? So you, you have, like he said, you know, we're lucky that Wellington was here for a long time and helped pave the way for uh, the rest of us to do what we're doing. And Sleeman was here before them, right? And and you do get people that come and they're like, well, Sleeman's not a craft brewery. Why are they on the bus? You're like, because it's part of Guelph beer culture. They're, mm. you know, they've been here forever. And when you go there, it's really cool. Mm. Right. It's really cool. Yeah. And we've done, you know, we've, we've gone in uh, and done like tours with them before too. And the amount of history that's there is it's just, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. And it just, you know, we are so fortunate as an industry that we have them here because, you know, they've solved problems that we don't even know we have. Right. Or we don't even right. know what to look for. Um, and so when you say, Hey, what's going on? Like, you know, this great, great example, very early days, like in our first two months of being in business, I couldn't, like, we couldn't carbonate our beer. Beer wouldn't carb properly. And, you know, we're a small, maybe we have a four barrel beer, uh, brew house. Um, so we had really short tanks and I just couldn't get our beer to carbonate. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. Everything I'm reading is just not working properly. And I called up uh, a contact I had at Sleeman and he walked in the, walked in the, uh, walked in the door and I'm like, I can't carb our beer. He goes, your bright tanks are too short. Talk to you later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The head, the, the head of the beer over the carb stone wasn't enough for the CO two to absorb before it reached the headspace. So basically, we're carving beer off the headspace in the tank, mm. and it's like that's someone who literally just rather than having it dissolve through a diffusion from the stone, it was just running right through and, and hitting the headspace. Um, you know, there's a couple other things that were involved in that as well, but like right off the bat, it's like, oh, oh yeah, like. Someone who's been doing this for 30 years just walked in and was like, oh, yeah, this. Wow. And they were right. <laughs> and it's like just being able to have access to that kind of expertise and that kind of help. It, it's, you know, it, it's yeah. invaluable. Sometimes, sometimes that's all it takes. It's really, uh, like, it, it's really cool um, to, like, to have put that together. And, and like, what it's making me think of is most people who have been interested in the beer scene for any length of time have been on a lot of those uh, like brewery bus tours um, like in any given city, um, but like, which are usually run by private companies and I'm not fronting on them because uh, like, I, like I know a lot of the people who like who run those and they usually put on a very good tour um, and it's a, like, and it's a really cool business model and they usually have a lot of passion for the, like for the local beer scene. Um, but I think what sets this apart is that uh, like, it's really cool that the individual breweries kind of have, uh, like more ownership in uh, like in the process and are a bit more connected to uh, like to the whole tour, which kind of uh, 
that, that like makes it so that there's a bit more a bit more passion to it and it's also really cool that the like that the transit system from the city is able to get involved as well it really makes it kind of a really cool local flavor um like which is which gives it something a bit extra is what it, like is what it seems like to me yeah, yeah you're right absolutely uh you know the, the thing that I, I i like the beer bus tour as well like where you go you get on the the, the bus and they take you around but the thing that steps out about the wealth beer bus for me is that it, it's at your own pace you know, you're having yeah. a good time. You're feeling, feeling the vibe in a place and somebody's like, all right, let's go get in the bus mm-hmm. next spot. Right. But like on this one, it's like, Hey, you go out and you're at, you're at fixed gear and you're like, you're loving the way it feels there that day. You don't have to go anywhere else. You can stay there um, and you know, <laughs> back next month and hit the other spots. Right. Like it's that kind of, that kind of thing. So it, it's just so much more, I think just user focus or you experience focus or yeah. experiential for and it's just more guided to what they want that person that customer wants that participant wants on the beer bus that day mm. so yeah plus the costs are absorbed by you guys the costs are all absorbed by us yeah so this is something that we want to we want to put on um incredible you know, just, well we, we have a little bit of an interest we, we do have we do have a full house most days that we're doing it so it's not very altruistic there is uh Hey, look, I'm I'm with the shits. I fuck with capitalism, but uh, I'm not mad at that. But it's it's still unheard of. Essentially, it's kind of I think what what even Nate was saying. Like, it's I've never seen anything like that, and uh, I think it's super dope. The Sleeman thing's interesting. So now I'm in Hamilton. I've been spending a bit more time in Western New York, like Buffalo and Rochester. And I got some friends out there. And early this year, we went. I went out to meet up with them for the first trip since we'd sort of moved. And we went to Genesee Brew House in downtown Rochester. And these dudes, um, I like Dinosaur Barbecue there too. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Who? Dinosaur Barbecue. Dinosaur Barbecue next time you're in Rochester. Okay. I was there two days ago, but I did not go. Okay. Yeah, that's the one. Dinosaur Barbecue. Dinosaur Barbecue. Yeah, super. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Little aside. Mm-hmm. Noted. No, very noted. It was just something I noticed. These guys were obsessed with Genesee. And it was like, I know they're essentially like a macro or whatever, but it seems that Sleeman is kind of the same thing there that like Genesee paved the way and helps all the, 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 the craft breweries and what you just described with Sleeman, which I wasn't aware of, um, similar thing. And I feel like that's, that's a cool parallel. Like it makes it sort of like, Oh, okay. Then this like beloved brewery that were kind of bought by Sapporo. It is what it is, but they still, like you said, have this long history in town and they proactively don't, they don't go out of their way to kind of make life difficult for everybody else. They're like, hey, let's all work together. It's We're still mm-hmm. a community. I think that's super cool. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, that yeah. is really cool. Um, I just look- having their talent, for sure. And sure. Which is, you know, one of the coolest days of my life, one of the brewers there called me up. He's like, yo, uh, can I borrow some hops? And I'm just like, the fuck? Uh, maybe. How many metric tons are you after? He's yeah. like, oh, I just need five. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> metric <laughs> tons. That was a cool. Uh, it was a cool moment. Uh, really, you need you need help from me. Okay, for, yeah. See, totally full can. circle again. I love to see it. Um, yeah. Looking at the time, next beer, boys. I know. We, I see. I told you it wasn't yeah. going to go two hours. Um, uh, yep. I'm going to say Snowden is the next one. Okay. So I'll, I'll preface that with for Christmas for the last couple of years we've made these two beers, so you'll notice that the Snowden. And the longest night, if you look at the cans, they kind of match each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? 
Yeah, so those are two sort of beers that we release uh, at Christmas that are very, very different. Um, but they kind of scratch different itches for the holiday time or the holiday palette. Mm-hmm. Uh, so snowed in, um, we have we put a tart beer on there. It's a kettle sour um, with cranberry and orange, so it's supposed to mimic that sort of you know the cranberry sauce that you get uh, at Christmas time. Reason being, um, you know, we say at Christmas time you eat and drink and and consume a lot of rich things, um, and that sort of cranberry sauce thing is in in Western Christmas food anyway is really the only respite that you get from rich things it's like tart uh, and bitter yeah. and like kind of cleanses your palate and so we really the only thing that can the, the only thing that can cut through the richness of everything else right yeah and so we kind of wanted to mimic that in a beer uh and so it's just a simple kettle sour um you know you get that nice bright sort of lemon lime acidity from the from kettle sours um a bunch of cranberry juice uh, orange puree, um, and then it gets fermented with uh, Voskvike, uh, which adds another layer of sort of oranginess to it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just like refreshing, light, again, like a lot of our beers. Um, oh, thank you, sir. This is six, so it's, a, a t- it's, I guess, the strongest one so far. It's stronger than our usual. So we do a, a constantly rotating cattle sour series called Berserker with fruit in it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is higher than that, um, partially targeted, but also because the, the, uh, some of the fruit referments. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, is this a relatively in comparison once again, I'm not trying to always bring up untapped, but I'm always just like checking. This one has significantly less check-ins than some of the other beers. What like the, I think, um, exhibition had like 10 K check-in. So like, obviously that's like, uh, yeah. Clearly a staple. So, this, so is this a bit newer? We only do it once a year, and we've only made it for three years. years yeah. That would probably explain it. Okay, that makes sense. Um, well, first of all, you got to come through our storefront to get it. So X goes out, has a little bit of distribution, but this guy only goes locks through our front door. You got to get that in. I respect it. Guys, get that in you. Cheers. Merry Christmas, folks. Oh, mate, that is Santa Claus in a glass. I love it. <laughs> Santa. Oh, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, super light, like 6%. You would not, I would probably guess four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is dangerous. So I was about to say, like, oh, you're going to get messed up on uh, Christmas Day with this, and goddamn right you should. Um, yeah, this is great. So it's like, it's super balanced. Like, the nose is more tart than it yeah. ends up being, which is. Well, I would- because it's cranberry too. Um, a lot of times for kettle sours you get tartness, but cranberries also like they have tannins, right? So you feel, mm-hmm. but you also feel like tannins on the side, sort of, of your palate, like when you drink red wine a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think like that tannin, sort of some of that bitterness or however you want to describe that, kind of balances some of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it just especially with food and stuff like that, super great at cutting rich stuff. Just easy drinking, that kind of, you know, it's that cranberry sauce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. The um, It's nice and um, sharply carved as well. So I imagine that's probably part of the cutting. Mm-hmm. I would it, agree, yeah. It, yeah? Because yeah. um, I guess there's the bubbles plus the acidity that kind of like maybe strip the oils off your tongue or whatever. 
but it's like it goes down super smooth like real smooth it's great man mm. yeah so this is just available this is available now at the brewery uh does it usually sell does it sell out before christmas does it sell out usually before the holidays or is it sort of usually available if people can't get down before then often uh between usually we have a little bit left between christmas and new year's Uh uh-huh Usually gone by New Year's. That's usually because we have Nicolas out too, though. Which we, we do like a third kind of Belgian-inspired Christmas beer in years past. But uh, when we, we haven't done that the last two years. Yeah. And so this has gone a little quicker. So that's for yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So people want this shit. By the time this pod comes out, I'm trying to think what date this will be. It'll be closer to Christmas. So if you're listening, just go gam. Go to, go and get it or order it online. God damn it. Yeah. You guys if do the online stuff. If you're in the general area, like Guelph, KW, Hamilton, we do home deliveries. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, outside of that, yeah, can't count a post. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, this this is fascinating. This once again, though, it feels it feels very much on brand for you guys. Like, I feel like all the stuff that you guys are doing are super well made and super um, approachable. Is yeah. is that, um, that fair? Yeah. And thanks for that. That's, uh, yeah, that's, we're not the brewery. That's like, you know, not that we don't do fun, innovative things. I, I say that we do do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, like we really want to drink and I would say are kind <laughs> of known for drink for producing, uh, approachable beers that, you know, m- most people are going to find something that they like. Uh, it's not, um, you know, we have some fun, one-off, interesting things on the shelf um, that are a little bit more experimental. But the majority of the beers that we do are approachable and sort of um, easy drinking. A lot of them, yeah, right. I think we like you know as a as an overall brand, like we, like just kind of looping back around to some of the stuff that happened during COVID, like. I think we, we Dan's definitely right. We haven't been doing as much kind of experimental or innovative stuff recently just because we got, had to get out of the habit of it during COVID. Um, just because everything had to go in a can, everything had to get packaged and we had to have art for everything that we were trying. Um, when that happens. Um, and so it, it really kind of put a lot of the brakes on some of that innovative stuff that we used to do. Um, flash for a year we closed for a year to, to renovate um and so it's really trying to just getting back into some of the swing of things now and getting getting our feet back under us um mm. as, a, as a facility um to kind of free up some time to try try a lot of new stuff to try to try to do new things and do be more innovative yeah right but i think at the corner of the like the, like the core of all that we, we try to do it's it's yeah it's approachability it's making beer people want to drink mm. that's it do you find that if you do anything too wild that people become less interested at all? Or is it sort of like you have like brand uh, recognition at this point being that it's 10 years? Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think we've done so many different beers over that 10 year period that I don't, I think we, I don't think we're like stuck like that. Mm. Um and I got, you know, being in the, in the, in the, the market that we're in, like most of the kind of the rotation, like the one-off stuff that we do or like just trial stuff that we do would just go to like the local, go through our beer store anyway. Um, and I think the market here does still, is still really receptive to trying new things. You, you know, we make, make something that's kind of out there or something different. 
um, and somebody gets it and they go, oh, no, this is, no, this is, this isn't me. I don't like this. This is too much. I don't want it. It doesn't mean they don't come back and buy the stuff they always, they still like, right? I think people are generally still pretty receptive to trying new things and being willing to not like something that we've done. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. It's almost like I'm, I'm almost asking all of that from sort of like a, uh, I was going to say like a big city ignorance. Like, you know, I was in Toronto, then Montreal, and now I'm in Hamilton, which is a smaller city. And I'm, I'm learning more about the sort of um, each, you know, like, like you guys were saying, which is really great context for me personally that like, you know, oh, you know, it's just the, the people in Guelph are into the same shit as everywhere else. But I'm always wondering, because I feel like maybe say a smaller town would have a, more of a propensity to have that sort of like local brewery that's close to people. So there'll be people who aren't like maybe the four of us who aren't like hyper beer nerds, but they just, you know, want to go somewhere cool that's local and support local and just drink good ass beer. And they're not like, yo, I need that new fucking Rewaka hop triple IPA. You know what I mean? Like they're not like hyper nerding out over stuff. So like I was, I'm always sort of like curious just to hear what the, yeah, what the locals are sort of like vibing with, but it's very, I think it's really dope that if the locals are sort of just like, yeah, man, whatever you got, let's go. Cause they like, they, they love the brand. They know it's good. And if they're like, well, maybe that one isn't for me, but let me go get a case of exhibition and we're good to go. You know? Yeah. I, I, I feel like we got, I feel like that's kind of like representative of how, how our customer base is. I would, I would okay. say that, yeah. By and large, they know what they like. Um, you know, one of the things that Guy Collins used to say back in the day was like, you know, we make all kinds of different beers. You're not going to like everything, but you probably like something. Um, and so we, we want to have, you know, we have bootleg. We have uh, our close cool Chateau Rivers uh, that we have around. They're, they're, they're beer beers, right? Like the, right. Anyone can recognize this is, is a beer. Um, it's not something that's, you know. You know, what we want, I always we hear a lot of these days is, oh, I don't like hops. I don't like hops. Like, oh, <laughs> really? Like, you're just not like bitterness because those are two very different things. You're talking yeah. about maybe you've had a really bitter hop forward beer and you're just kind of making that, making that, that kind of, that false comparison there. That, um, yeah. So, yeah. You know, either, that or I don't, either that or I don't like my beer to look like orange juice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, but that's the funny thing. We get people that come in and, oh, I don't like, I don't like hoppy beers. And then you give them like our hazy IPA looks like orange juice, but it's super floral and tropical. Oh, I like this. Like, yeah. You like hops. You like hops. You do like yeah. hops. <laughs> yeah, it's an education thing, I think, with that. And it was yeah. like, I understand it because maybe they rolled the dice and tried an IPA in 2014. And they're like, oh, like this is bitter yeah. and dank and piney. I don't, I'm not into this. And then they go and try a, a haze, a hazy IPA. And they're like, Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's Great. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and for us too, like, it, you know, as a small brewery, I think in the era that this brewery came around in, it was, you know, everyone was trying to do, not, I don't want to say the craziest thing, but like it, there was a lot of like pushing the envelope of like adding crazy ingredients and like yeah. doing weird things to, to be able to say that we did them. And, and, and that's fun, but I, I feel like we had an, a, a little bit of an aha moment at one point too, where we grew up a little bit where we, you know, made a, a, a Blondale or a Kolsch or whatever. And it sold like really, really well because there was all these people that wanted to support a small brewery in their neighborhood. Yeah. But like when they go to the beer store, they buy Budweiser. 
Yeah. Right. Gotcha. They're, they're not looking for, they're not looking for an IPA or a stout. They want to drink a, a beer um, and they'll, they'll happily support a small brewery, but you have to make something that they like. You kind of unwittingly excluding yeah. folks by, by, by not being approachable um, or by having that, yeah. that deck. Um, and yeah, like that's, you know, we obviously don't want to do that because, you know, if they want to buy what you have. You want to, you want to have something that you can, they can, they can, they can partake in. Do you think that applies to every brewery or do you think that's maybe situational? I I think it's situational to a degree. I think it really depends on, on who the brewery is and what they're trying to achieve uh, Mm. and who their customer is. Um, You know, we are, we are in a smaller city. Like, like we don't have a critical mass of, of people looking for that triple, uh, triple hop, uh, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's totally blanked on a hop name there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, I do know what they are. Yeah. Um, but like, I believe we, we, have, uh, we don't have, we like, we don't have that critical mass of those people that can support a burrito like, like us. So we, we do need to be a little, bit, a little bit wider appeal. Um, but there are breweries out there that do have that um, and do do that very well. Um, it's just, I think they are, it really just depends on, on who they are as a company and what they're trying to achieve and where they want to sell and where they want to sell. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. O- overall then in Guelph would you say that there would be and I'm trying to get the picture because like I said I need to spend more time and I realize how close it's like 45 50 minutes away so it's, it's it's super close to me so I'm really trying to just like get the lay of the land now that I've been here a bit the across all the the, the well, I guess now six breweries like would you say that sort of every sort of thing is represented within those six breweries or is there some things that are maybe not as heavy out there whether that's like you know say like you know the 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 more like quote unquote like hype shit like you know pastry stouts and smoothie sours and like intensely intense haze with like crazy you know that type of shit is that represented well out there or is that not really much of a thing and there's other stuff like what because obviously i know about wellington and now i'm learning a lot more about you guys I'm not as familiar with the rest. I know a bit about Sleeman, obviously, but the other guys are, I'm still a bit new to. I need to learn more. What's what's that sort of like general area vibe? Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that we have anyone here who specializes in any one particular spot. I think everybody, okay. all the folks in town here kind of do a, a cross section of the industry, uh, you know, a wider, a wider, wider variety of things. I don't think we don't have anyone who is, we only make hazies like, there, there definitely isn't that. Although in the wider area, in the wider area. So, yeah. like, if yeah. you're talking about Guelph, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, sort of that, then you did you do run into some of that specialized stuff. But that's mm-hmm. starting to change now. Like, you know, Rob at Shortfinger makes really great beer, um, but you know, he'll be the first to tell you too that he's making a lot more lager and and pale ale than he ever thought he was going to when he started yeah. to mix fermentation brewery. You know, uh, <laughs> right. Um, Barn Cat was making really great hazy yeah. beers for a long time, and they're no longer there. Um, so th- there was some of that specialization in the general area, but I think in Guelph in and of itself, you know, you do have some nods. So again, Wellington making some British style beer and things like that. Mm-hmm. But even they've, I think, changed up a lot of their core lineup in the last couple of years that a lot of that stuff isn't as prevalent as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have a lot of breweries doing a, a, a wide variety of beers. Um, and yeah, not, not super focusing on, on one thing. I think focusing more on brands that they make than style. So like, mm-hmm. 
every brewery around here has a couple brands that like people know are from that brewery that is their flagship core stuff that people go for. Uh, and and they're more well known for those brands, I would say, than for any any specific stuff. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. And I know that everything is super close, like from Guelph to like KW to Cambridge and stuff. It's all like twenty minutes, half an hour, half an hour minutes. Type of- nice. Yeah. Right. So, oh. essentially, within the greater region, there's something for everybody. And in Guelph, it's not necessary. Okay. I'm just trying to maybe if people aren't f- as familiar, just get it I'm, for myself, yeah. but also like for listeners is who are like, uh, you know, what's the vibes of Guelph? And uh, I like that. I like that it's sort of like that sort of breadth and like a bit of everything anyway. Like, you know, everyone's kind of doing a bit of everything, which is, yeah. which is interesting to me. Okay. That's uh, super dope. Do you guys ever like one of the coolest things that happened? I think over the last few years was the uh, the the rise of the independent bottle shop, which was something that Nate and I always talk about here. Like, I just feel like it didn't get an like. I feel like people should be shouting that from the rooftops. It was like such a large, uh, you know, what you, that step in in this bullshit of uh, you know ridiculous alcohol laws stopping businesses that employ an insane amount of Canadians and, and inject a lot of money. Like I was, I think it was like, it's like 638 or 683 million per year into the economy in craft breweries. It's either Ontario or in Canada. Cause I was, I had to, I had to get the stats for something. And uh, I was like, yo, that's a lot of fucking money. Um, what the fuck was my question again? What was it? What did I just say? Okay, just bottle shops. Bottle shops. Fuck, thank you, Cam. So like, <laughs> But look at that. Look, co-host right here. So and the, <laughs> the um the bottle shops have been a really cool addition. Have that sort of have you guys sort of dabbled in that world at all? Or is that not really something that was like much of a fit? I'm always just curious as to sort of the the vibe on that. Yeah, we, we have definitely uh we we sell to bottle shops uh regularly. Uh a few of the ones out here. Uh golden. Uh, cool over in K-Dub, uh, Outpost up in Fergus, uh, we have been at fairly frequently, um, just to name two. Um, it's definitely a thing out here, for sure. Um, I don't know if it, it, it was probably a handful that I can name off the top yeah, of my head. There's um, four or five that I can think of. Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I like, I think it's great. I think, I, it, I do you too. know, being Absolutely. able to go somewhere... Um, and just browse a bunch of different brewery beer that you're not going to be able to get at the LCBO. Yeah, and have something that's curated by someone who gives a shit too. That that's yeah, yeah, that's, that's the, the biggest thing. So, and they usually have relationships with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And they're uh, passionate. You know, so much of what you see on the shelves of the LCBO is is you know forced listings and marketing programs and mm-hmm. all this. Just do to get their skews on the shelf and in you know visible spots. Um, so you know th- there's there's a whole lot of pay to play, even though it's not officially pay to play because that's not illegal in Ontario. But it's <laughs> unless the government's doing it, that's okay. Um, oh, sorry, I do what they like. And I wouldn't get mad at the government on this podcast tonight. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm I'm treading a very a very fine line here. Get mad, get mad, <laughs> get mad. I don't give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have many listeners from the AGCO on here. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I would imagine most people aren't particularly fond of, of any government. So, yeah, no, it, it 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 just it it makes it a much more difficult uh, industry to work in than it needs to be. I think just the way the regulation structure is structures in the province. 
Um, you know, there's going to be a whole lot of change with that in the next couple of years when the master framework agreement uh, kind of comes. We find out what's happening there. Uh, uh, full stop what's happening there. Um, but, uh, you know, change may not always be the best, may not always be the best thing um, unless it's done well um, as, as, yeah. as regards to all legislation in Ontario. It's kind of inevitable and everything. But uh, the way this the way this is going to break down is going to have, you know, generational impact on this industry and this province, um, how those decisions are made in the next, uh, the next couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the OC spent a lot of time and energy lobbying on what tax, we need right? industry we need, we need to see to, like what needs to change from an industry perspective. Um, and so it's just a case of, uh, when that, guy, that message gets through, you know, they've been very yeah. good at keeping up to date on what's going on. Um, and you know what some of the uh, the bigger impacts of that those legislation changes are going to be, but uh, no, I don't I don't want to turn things on a bummer here by any means. But it's uh, yeah, it's it's going to make what happens in the next two years is going to be have a generational impact on this industry in, in Ontario. I don't think it's a bummer. We've been talking about it a bunch, and I feel like it's like when we were doing podcasts during deep COVID. If you didn't talk about the impacts of COVID, it was kind of weird. So I I feel yeah. like. And the response that we've been getting from people has been quite positive whenever, you know, we're having breweries who are bold enough to just be honest about it. So I do, I don't think it's negative. I think we have to just talk about the, the landscape as it is. And it's, what do you guys think about the, the, um, the OCB that is it like keep beerlocal.ca, if I'm not mistaken, where it allows yeah. you to email your local MP and say, Hey, this is my brewery. Please reduce the tax. How do you guys feel about that? Do you think that's an important initiative? Absolutely, it is. Um, you know, we're members of the OCB. We we participated in that letter writing campaign from a business standpoint. Um, you know, the, the the you know the truth of the matter. You know, and from my perspective on it, or from my understanding of it, is most MPPs in Ontario have no idea how beer is taxed in this province. Because right. why wouldn't mm-hmm. they? Um, and when you explain to them, hey, this is the actual situation, they go, oh yeah, that's fucked up. Why, why do we do it that way? I don't know. Someone wrote the laws and we do it that way. Um, and so a lot of this is just about awareness, right? And it's if enough people start sending these letters to the to their MPPs, the Minister of Finance, eventually the people in their offices have to like pay attention to it. Like, why are we getting all these letters about beer tax? Um, and so I think that doing that does play a pretty big uh, a pretty big impact in creating in that in that conversation and creating that awareness for a lot of those people that make these decisions. Um, so yeah, I think the o, the OCP's campaign has had a pretty big impact in the province um, and at government. And, you know, the feedback that we've had, you know, uh, like it's it. Everyone learned about this. Everybody was talking about this. Uh, the balance didn't ultimately go our way this this time around. Um, we you know I, I'm I'm. I'm not a, I'm not the expert or the source on this, but the the feedback that we've been given from the OCB is that we're not getting any tax reform anytime soon. It's okay. going to be discussed under the Master Framework Agreement. Um, so, don't quote quote me as Campfire saying that. That's not necessarily <laughs> the official government position. <laughs> oh, I understood the uh, the reporting on this, um, but uh, the uh, yeah, we're we're not going to see anything in the, in the, in the short term on this one. Um, it's going to be about two years before. Any, any change makes there any changes made there and you know the thing that we're, we're kind of why this is so important so here i go i'm, I'm going yeah. down, i'm going down the rabbit hole <laughs> let it rip uh, brother let it rip <laughs> welcome um, to my life guys welcome to my life <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know the, the 
in Ontario, you really don't have many mid-sized breweries. You have mega breweries, you have small breweries, you don't have anyone in that mid-tier. mid mid tier. Mm-hmm. Um, And so much of that is because of the way the tax structure in Ontario works. Um, whether you are Steam Whistle or whether you're Royal City or whether you're Brothers, you pay the same tax rate on the beer you make. Whether you, If you're Molson, you pay more. They pay more. Um, but there's no like marginal tax rates within that framework or within that structure. So you have basically 95% of the breweries in Ontario making about 11% of the beer being taxed the exact same way. Right. Um, so it having some kind of marginality in there such that, you know, when you hit this tier, you pay X, when you hit this tier, you pay X plus two, you when this tier, you pay X plus three uh, until you get back to that top kind of, uh, small brewer rate, uh, makes a lot of sense. And that's what they do in every other province in Canada. Um, all, don't quote me on that one, but almost every other province in Canada, they do that where there is a marginal tax structure. They do it with the federal excise tax that we pay. It makes a lot of sense. Is when you cross this production threshold, anything you make beyond that goes up in taxes. In the province, it's this is what you pay until you cross that production threshold, and then you owe everything behind it that you would have owed before you made that much beer. Now, there's a real disincentive to growth in this province for breweries. There's a real, and like the, the tax structure is really, really difficult for smaller producers such as ourselves to be able to, to, to manage like taxes are even to report to report. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've been filing beer tax returns for 10 years in this province and it still takes me a solid day every month to do it. And Dan does it. Dan's doing a lot of it now too. Yes. It's, it's a solid day's worth of labor to get that tax return done every month. That's just, you know, assuming you work a 40 hour week, that's, that's your one twentieth of your your 5% of your productive time every month gone. That's a lot of time. It's, it's a lot of time, and it it and it it's needless in my in my humble yeah. opinion. I'm 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 not trying to say we shouldn't pay taxes. I absolutely believe in 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 you know taxation and the social contract and all that stuff. And I know alcohol has an effect on society, and it, it, we need to pay taxes for for making it. I am I'm on board with that. I just wanted to look a little bit more representative of how it does the, across the rest of the country. Um, there's no reason they don't like beer better in Alberta or BC than they do in Ontario, but it's a lot easier to do it out there than it is here for a bunch of reasons, but taxation being one of the main ones. It's just, they pay way less than we do. Yeah. That was well, well no, that was well explained, man. And I, I think that was great. That was a really cool summary. And as someone, I'm a business owner and I have to do all the tax bullshit. It's a nightmare. And I can only imagine what it would be to to do that. Like I detest having to do all that stuff because I'm like, this is just like you're just making me do stuff to pay you money. Like as soon as you earn more than thirty k, you got to get the tax number. I'm like, yo, like I'm a fucking agent for the government. All I'm doing is taxing my clients to then give you money. That's all I am. I'm like, when you see the reality of it all, and then now as a homeowner here and stuff, I'm just I'm on top of all of this stuff and extra bitter and mad about it because none of it is logical. Like none of it is logical. The whole shit top to bottom is completely insane. And alcohol is 10 X anything else that I have to deal with as far as the insanity, because it's dealing with laws from the literal depression and literal prohibition that for some reason, these people who make these fucking decisions don't think it's worth changing to get with the times. I just, I don't, it's just so obscene. 
I think so, so much of they don't know, right? They don't know. They heard like people have heard that, oh yeah, Ontario has weird liquor laws and that's all they've heard. But when they, when you hear the actual practical application of it, it makes like they go, they go, what? Why, why, why do we do it that way? <laughs> You're doing yeah. it. You're doing it. <laughs> Um, you know, we, we, yeah. our, we did our Someone October should do something about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did our Oktoberfest back in the end of the last week of September. And this is a great example of why Ontario's laws are stupid. So we <laughs> had to get an SOP, so special occasion of permit, to be able to pour beer outside of our license area. So we can't just extend our, well, actually, sorry, I found out after the fact. We could have, despite what the AGCO agent told me. So the person that works for the AGCO didn't even know their own policies because I was asking about this. Gotcha. Anyway, long story short, we got an SOP to serve beer directly over the line of our back door. Um, awesome. But because of laws in Ontario, we weren't allowed to cross beer between the two spaces. So from the paperwork perspective, we had to sell beer to ourselves on our own SOP, move that beer immediately out of our production facility, and anyone who had any of that beer in a glass was not allowed to bring it back into the place it was made and lived 10 minutes ago. Because <sighs> lots. <laughs> um, it was great. It was great. It's stupid. So you're trying to explain to people like, no, you're actually not allowed to bring that beer. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is our beer. It is from here. It was made in that tank that you can look at and point at. Uh, but now it is no longer allowed in this building. Uh, that sounds like a joke. That sounds like a joke. That should be a joke. <laughs> Could be. It, it, and, you know, like, you know, when we, the AGCO was telling us when we got our, our new liquor license for our, our bigger space, it's like, you know, you should license, you should apply to license your bathrooms so that people don't have to drop their drinks and have, you know, run the risk of their drinks being spiked. Uh, that's a great idea. So we license the bathrooms. People walk into the bathroom with their pint. And I'm like, so we literally have like a festival kind of thing here. And you want me to put it like we had 250 people in the back of the place. Um, and you want me to put a table at the back door that everyone has to go take a piss, has to leave their glass on? Like, what happened in your own policy? Well, like, well, no, yeah, that, that's still the policy, but uh, but it, that's up to you to enforce. Like, like, okay, I'll try, but there's, there's fucking fifty glasses of beer on this table. I can't like, anyway, it's it, like Ontario laws. They're, oh my no. god, man! I've heard the same thing happens with the indie bottle shops. Like, it's like depending on the AGCO officer who comes in, they will bust your balls about. No, no, that can't be next to that, and that can't like as in it's all dependent on the individual who comes by. So, like, and their interpretation like, like, of the rules. It, it, right? it's, it's like it's like you like you you can sell this, but it can't be out of this door. It needs to be out of that door for reasons. <laughs> for yeah, reasons, for, yeah. It's just I just don't like, understand. Go. Too is it's like it's like let's like, ask that guy. Okay, what's the reason? Tell me why. If there's a very legit good reason for why this beer can't cross this line, I'm I'm listening. And if you can convince me that hey, okay, yeah, you're right, that beer can't cross that line. But like, no one knows what those reasons are. Mm. It's just it's just it's just what's on the books. So, but just just why is it on the books? And why and their interpretation no, of what's on the books? No one can tell me why. Why yeah. is it there? It's just like after COVID and you, we lost what, like 10, I heard there was 10,000 restaurants across Canada or at least service-based business like that, that we lost. I bet there was way more. You go down any mainstream in any city and there's mad empty storefronts and you're like, okay, you changed the laws finally to allow breweries in Quebec who serve food to be able to sell their own canned and bottled products at their own fucking door. Because if you went to Judiciel in Montreal, you had, you couldn't buy beer. You'd have to go down the street to a depot insane bro and here 
than the the independent. Like you can buy beer from a gas station or from a for any depot anywhere in Quebec. So that was already there. So here they finally did it, but it was just so like it took a international pandemic to fucking make those decisions, and then they still have absurdities. I don't know. I like no. logic a lot, and I respect logic, and I very, very yeah. much disrespect illogic. I can't stand it. It's just so insane, and I just don't like when so many people are suffering. All the fucking parks are filled with people living in tents. People like who are just regular, who have jobs, are about to live in their cars because I see it on the Hamilton subreddit every day, and I imagine it's happening in every city in the the province, if not the country. And they still insist on this fuckery. I'm like, what sort of clown show are we living in? I know this is becoming a political podcast i'm passionate about <laughs> we can talk about this off air but i'm i'm aggressively uh on your side with this trust me bro it's, just, it's it's so insane i just don't understand where this all comes from it's uh it's just yeah. ridiculous going back to your original question there the ocb put a graphic out that just shows you what the percentage of, of beer that was very helpful was. i thought yeah and it, it's accurate that that's this is what it is you know we, we were living in it in, uh, in uh, you know in the last three years we've seen our costs explode um, from the cost of aluminum, to the cost of grain, uh, grain in particular has gone just it tripled in price in the last three years. Mm. Um, you know, well, climate change, war in Ukraine, all this kind of stuff, pick one. It, it, it's why inflation, uh, but like these costs have just exploded and, you know, the piece, there's a couple of big pieces about this that are, are, are going to be pretty problematic in the next couple of years, unless some, some meaningful change is made. Mm. Um, I'll go to Jordan's and put that article out about uh, the MFA. It's worth a read if you haven't checked it out. I, think I did read that one a month ago. Yeah, yeah. A couple of really good arguments there, are good good points in there that uh, kind of really rang true for me. Um, the uh, in particular, the uh, you know what happens when the beer tax freeze stops. So in 2020, gov- provincial government froze beer tax. So beer tax was on an auto escalator every year. It went up three cents a, a liter. <laughs> Uh, approximately, uh, but they froze those increases in 2020. But they didn't freeze the increases; they they offset them and they delayed them uh, mm-hmm. until time is 2024 rolls around when they will be indexed to inflation and reinstated. Um, yep, that sounds about right. So effectively, like you know, if nothing changes before March, they're going to put I don't know 12, 14 cents extra on a, on a liter of beer uh, in taxes, production taxes. Um, and honestly, like that, you know, that puts people out of business. That puts people out of business. Yeah. It absolutely does. Um, the margin on beer, especially packaged or retail, beer, is really thin. I'm uh, not depressing. Yeah, let's start drinking another beer. Yes. <laughs> right before we crack the other beer, does anyone need a bathroom? Because I'm like, do we do a quick pause? We can all just uh, hit the bottom. Oh, you guys good? I'm good. I'm good too. If, if you guys, you guys have to pause it. Oh, it's just me. No, we can, you guys can keep crack. It's like three versus one. I just got to go. So I'll just mute myself. Start cracking. Yeah. Why don't, back yeah in, why, don't, well, why don't we keep it going then? You guys keep it going. I'll be back in like 45 seconds. So no drums. Product's working then. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's doing what it's intended. I'm going to do the Leslie Nielsen and uh, Naked Gun and just uh, leave the mic on when you go to the cover up. Yeah, right. Like, uh, <laughs> I'll bring it with me. <laughs> um next one is the dark owl uh, uh, longest, no, night. longest night longest night all righty yeah the other holiday beer the other holiday the other, beer. Yeah, the holiday. Yeah. big up santa yeah so this one so I, uh sorry go ahead 
Oh, sorry. I was, I was just going to say. So most of what we've drank tonight, I think, uh, like, I think actually this was like this actually tops up one of your um, one of your holiday gift packs, right? The mm-hmm. like, like the five that we've done so far. Yes, correct. So we uh, right. we have a bunch of different tiers of holiday sort of packs available right now. Uh, there's one that's the big one where you get three of these guys, three of the snowmen. And then you get some exhibition goldie and bootleg as well, uh, and some cool swag to go with it, uh, including like a branded tumbler and some ornaments uh, and a uh, what's it called like a market bag. And then there's some other tiered stuff as well, um, which we sell on our website and then also out the front door. So um, we've been doing that sort of stuff for the last couple of years. Just doing, we just find that bundling stuff together like that is is convenient for people. And then there's always like a a merch thing that is only not only available but available at a reasonable discounted price usually included in those things as well so if you were to buy everything separately at the brewery it would be significantly more so, yep yeah, yeah. One of the things that um, uh, that I remember from uh, like from buying uh, your guys stuff in years past when I lived uh, a, a bit closer to you is I'm remembering um, like holiday four packs of uh like of, of, like of special uh like kind of hol- like holiday themed beers and uh, like and these last two are like are giving me memories of that and uh that's like, like that's one of the things that i'll always associate with royal city um which is uh, which is kind of cool so uh tell us about longest night so longest night is a beer inspired by a talk that our brewer Matt and I went to uh, that Escarpment Labs put on uh, in Toronto uh, with uh, the beer blogger Lars, uh, what's his name, Lars Marius Garshol or Groshol or whatever his name is, um, who very much brought people's attention to Norwegian farmhouse brewing and Kvike uh, yeast strains and things like that. Um, and he talked about going to brew with this guy uh, and basically making a beer from just Pilsner malt and then boiling it for a hell of a long time uh, and then fermenting it with Quike and then just being like blown away that the guy was pitching yeast at like 35 degrees Celsius uh, and that the beer was like just started fermenting, you know, 20 minutes later. Um, and so this is not, we always say this is not that beer, but it's sort of inspired by that beer. So it's, it's just Pilsner malt. Uh, it's sparged through juniper boughs, um, which would be traditional to, for, for the beer that we heard about. And then also sort of just from that region. Uh, then Matt boils it for six ish hours. Uh, boiled, boiled to a reduction point, so yeah. it doesn't. Uh, the the time is indeterminate, but it, it it's a it's a major reduction. It's generally like six to eight hours. Um, wow! And then, okay. Yeah, very it's lightly small. hopped, um, and then fermented with uh, again with Voskvike. Um, so it has this, you know, it's it's darker than you would expect from just Pilsner malt. Yeah, it's yeah, like orange. golden orangey in color, and that's just from that reduction. Um, and then when you smell it, you get like a little bit of that sort of, there's a bit of sort of forest floor, earthy, piney sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you just like a hint of juniper and then the Vosk Fike has this really cool orange character that it gives, but it's like cooked orange. It's like marmalade sort of, 
Mm-hmm. Um, those, and then you get it when you drink it too. And it's not like what you think of when you think about orange from hops, where it's this bright sort of tropical thing. It's more like that stewed, concentrated sort of uh, orange peel kind of thing. Yeah. And, it, and, and there's no orange in it. Again, there's, there's some juniper in it, but all of that flavor just comes from uh, that Voss Quike. And then there's that cool caramelized character to it from the boiling. Uh, but it's very, like, much a simple beer, but it just gets all this complexity from process. And it kind of goes back to what Cam was saying before about, you know, the ingredients are important, and, of course, they are. But, but the process, you know, if you didn't boil this beer for six or eight hours, this would be a very different beer. Um, so that concentration obviously concentrates the alcohol, it caramelizes the sugars in it, um, and it just makes uh, uh, what I think is a very delicious beer. This is one of my favorite beers that we do yeah. all year. I think it's one, one of the like, excellent example of some of that innovation stuff we were talking about earlier, and it's just one of the most interesting things I think we make. Oh, yeah. Right on. Gentlemen. Let's have a taste. Cheers. Get that in you. Oh, Okay. I, I caught the the tail end of that. So this is a like even on the can like Nordic farm ale. I, I, I thought like spodge through the juniper. So it's kind of like what would you call like is Nordic farmhouse a fair thing or is it like maybe more like Belgiany or something? We try. I mean, when we released it the first time, you know, we're not in Norway, we're not Norwegian, we're not brewing on old farmhouse equipment. So in our mind, it's not a Norwegian farmhouse ale. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely inspired by that. So we just okay. call it a destructive one, but it definitely, you know, in spirit ticks those boxes. Mm. Back to this problem with literal, being literal, how literal we are. We, we can't call something something it's not. I respect that. Yeah, I respect that. Um, yeah, this is fascinating. I, I haven't had a beer like this in a while because i guess it's more like strong ale i understand why you called it that then um it's such like uh it makes you sort of like huh well, what like try to place it a bit i guess because i you know e- even though beer can be anything the human mind maybe wants to put it in a box and just like to kind of yeah. understand it to be like okay what is this thing um, north american beer mind yeah north american beer mind does that not happen anywhere else i think it's less prevalent in other places I think we want everything to be a style. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think if, you know, if you're talking about people, you know, Belgian or, or from what I understand from uh, the Nordic countries as well, it's more just like, yeah, this is the beer I make. And this is what it tastes like. And we gotcha. put it in style. Yeah. You know, like if you go, if you drink a lot of Belgian beer, a lot of times there's no style on it. That's right? It, yeah, like some of them do. A lot of them don't. And it's just like a beer name. And yeah, it fits into a general style sort of, but like they don't really care. And, and I kind of respect that. I, I think, you, you know, especially in North America, you have to have some styles because people want to know what they're buying. It gives the customer insight into what the beers are going to be. But I think we're very dependent on those things, sometimes like to a fault, mm-hmm. where we have like five kinds of IPA. Yeah, right? that's and, a fair point. Is it a good beer? Or is it not a good beer? I'm not, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't have styles, but mm. yeah, I know what you mean. I don't know. I and find you, it like I'd love to get it. to the point. Sorry, Cam. Okay, just the the need to push it into a box, I kind of think is is part of that. Yeah, I think that's it's definitely fair. I feel like 
I don't know if it's just the way I personally think, and I don't know if that's North American or Australian, whatever, but like just, just to understand the intention, I guess. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a beer. What do you think? Right. I totally, totally get it for, for me to seem to understand it. The, I think it was, it's almost how I was introduced to be. And I would say that would probably cover most people with the exception of kind of what you're talking about. Dan was in like Belgian or whatever. They don't do this. It's a Belgian beer. What do you reckon? Like, I feel like everything we've had here, this is a Kolsch. This is a lager. This is a nut brown. This is a porter. Like, and yeah. Oh, okay, cool. This is what they were going for. I'm like, oh, it's kind of a little bit between the two styles, but I see. Like, just to sort of everything was put in a box, so then you approach beer in boxes, and that that's the for better or worse, um, probably reason that I personally would think that way and just to understand what the intention was because otherwise i'm like yeah cool this is fascinating and it's just maybe it's like a overly i feel like i'm just sometimes you know i like logical shit like sometimes i just want to know what what you're trying to do like ah so i can understand it so maybe it's just different thing but it's kind of cool like that you've got this interesting thing because then now it's it it encourages more conversation to get to the bottom of it well you know it's a little bit of this a little bit of that you know that's like equally as cool too to try and figure it out because it doesn't happen that often i would say the vast majority of products that are put out there from breweries are this is this blah 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 yeah, so yeah. Is- well and I, we're very minimalistic when it comes to that sort of thing i mean there's breweries that are definitely more min- minimalistic than us style categories but i would say we're pretty minimalistic for that i know we joke about it but there was a time and i'm sure you, you agree where i feel like breweries put like three or four style names in a row on the same beer where it was like a, a double dry hop farmhouse sour IPA. Right? <laughs> yes. No, you made it. You made a hop forward sour beer. Like you don't have to call it five things. Right. Stop confusing people. Yeah. 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 Where I would sort of opposite of that, but, but it does lead to things where people are like, you know, well, the next beer that we're going to have, the last beer that we're going to have, for example, we put dark ale on it. A lot of people are going to say, well, that's a stout. Well, for a variety of reasons, we didn't put stout on it. But, like, you do run into things where people are like, well, I don't know if I'm going to like it because it just has strong ale. And then it does give us and our, like, staff the ability to engage with people and talk about the beer and sort of explain it a bit. If someone's just buying it off a shelf, that's harder to do. So, yeah. So I think... And cons. Yep. Yeah, you need, a, you need something. Very interesting. To look at just to give them a frame, or like a reference point. But you know, strong ale—that's a reference point. Yeah. Well, and if they take the yeah. time to like read the side of the can, it says a little bit more about it. Yeah, this is right? actually really helpful, to be honest, because I missed most do. of the convo. So I was like, oh, <laughs> I feel like this caught me up and gives it a, an idea. But I—I I don't know, man. It's—it's it's actually kind of fun in a time where like, even if you look at what we've had this evening, like essentially everything was pretty much as prescribed on the pan on, on the can. So it's, uh, I, I know what you're going. Cool. This is a session IPA. This is a pale ale. This is a fucking tart beer, a sour beer. So now I'm like, all right, what are you going for? Cause a strong ale to me, the only style that uses that is a Belgian strong ale from memory. 
Anyway, I couldn't Fair. think of anything else. So immediately that was the tie-in. So I'm like, okay, well, there's some sort of belgian thing. Maybe I'm expecting some spices and candy sugar or something. And wasn't sure. Cool, strong out. Is that going to be darker? Is that going to be lighter? And you've kind of gone for that lighter stuff. It's just, it's interesting. And I feel like anything that sparks conversation, particularly around a maybe a less common style, is valuable. Yeah. And there was like, when we did this beer, there was a time at the brewery where we were like obsessed with Quike. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, yes, yes. You did that. We did like a lot of beers with Quike. And we've like, we fermented wine with Quike and then blended it into beers. Uh, yes. We did like all this weird, weird stuff. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, but like when it came down to it, this sort of distilled version of what we would see as like the classic way that we learned about these sort of beers is still my favorite one. Mm, and I right. think it's yeah. everyone else. Yeah. The other ones were cool. We did some cool things. Um, and we've, we've learned a lot about like, and having a Scarman Labs in town here uh, is really cool for us. And like when they were starting, they started out of like this brewery and Wellington. Um, yeah, they had a room in the back. Yeah. And yeah. so we got access wow. to a lot of those early, which was really great. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're definitely not as obsessed with Quake anymore, but there was a, a good year there. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, a lot. There's of a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy convenient. I didn't know that was yeah. row. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's fun though. Well, uh, yeah. I feel like Quake is like sort of fewer and further between these days, but if it's used right, like, what, what does it deliver in this particular beer then? Because usually I, I would say most of my exposure to it has been through some sort of IPA type of thing. And it would well, deliver that dryness and a little bit of like maybe kind of almost made it like funky or tart or something. I think so. There's a bunch of different strains of Quake. Gotcha. Uh, oh, it's the Voss. And, yeah. And they all sort of do their own thing for uh, like this one has Voss in it. And Voss, uh, I was saying, I think you were in the washroom. So it has this like, cooked orange character that it gives okay. to a lot of beers. And I think that works in IPAs. Um, but I think in this one, it's also like this cool backend thing that does where you get this caramelized character from that long boil. You get some herbaceousness from the juniper and from the hops, but then there's this cooked orange thing underneath it that like makes it way more complex. Mm. And that all from the, from the quake. Um, and then it, it, again, we've, we use a couple different strains um, and we've done IPAs with them. We've done all kinds of things with them. And, and certain strains are, are just like any yeast. Certain strains are great to bring out accent hop character or whatever. Uh, some of them are better in our opinion. And it's not traditional, but work really well in darker beers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the last beer that we'll have is also quite beer and, and also uses, uses a different strain, um, which we can talk about when we do that. Oh yeah. How do these type of beers then, because I feel like in this day and age, unless you're like a either actually Belgian or like there's very few and far between like breweries that either do stuff like this here in, in 2023 compared to say when you guys opened, like when you guys opened, this was like the, this is what you wanted. Like I used to lose my mind over Belgian stuff in early on, because if you look, you go from the English stuff that was mostly available in Ontario uh it was like the belgian stuff was so interesting in in comparison i always thought i was just like wow these flavor profiles are crazy and obviously i moved to montreal in 2012 so like all the stuff out there was um hella belgian oriented today 
it's like I was saying, not, not as common. How do people typically react to something like this, particularly uh, drinkers who maybe haven't been around for a while and haven't done that kind of flavor wheel, um, color wheel kind of uh, process that, that all of us have? I think for, for this beer, like, you know, you used to say somebody, oh, it's inspired by a Norwegian farmhouse brewing. Well, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no. like that. Oh, that's cool. I think people, when they try it, um, and, and if they're into sort of that complexity and the fun story and the, they dig it, I think there's the other half that just want to drink Exhibition IP. Yeah. Like, it's just too much for them. It's like, no. <laughs> yep. Right? Oh, and, and we don't make beer to, like, that every person off the street is going to come in and want to drink it. Gotcha. This is one of those ones where it's, like, made for the season. It's a specialty thing that we like to make. And it sells out every year, which is great. So people like it. Hell yeah. Uh, but it's not like the the that Royal City sort of appeal to the masses thing. Gotcha. I think uh, I think kind of kind of to kind of go well, not exactly in, in parallel with what Dan was just saying there. And I'm telling their story here. Um, uh, I, last weekend I was uh, serving beer or selling beer at a farmers market in Georgetown. Uh, one of the other things that Guelph Beer does, uh, I didn't mention, is we share uh, share farmers markets. So we we sign up about ten different farmers markets, and rather than having all five of us did, uh, sitting at Guelph Farmers Market, squinting at each other all, all summer long. We uh, we just broke through that one um, and about ten other markets in the area. Um, Georgetown was one of them. I was out there on, on Saturdays because we had uh, a staffing breakdown, and uh, I was driving the van up to the market that morning. Um, but where I'm going with all this long-winded rambling uh, anecdote is, uh, I think it has to do with the story. I think everyone will enjoy a beer that they enjoy the story behind it. So being able to like talk to people across the little table in the snow and cold in Georgetown and just be like, they say, well, what's this? And you explain to them, like, what kind of beer do you like? Oh, I'll usually drink like Coors. And then you start telling them the story of this beer. Well, this beer starts its life very similar to Coors Light. It's all based malts. One malt, palest malt, one of the palest malts you can get. It's got one hop in it. And then all of a sudden we manipulate that process and you can kind of walk them through the Norwegian piece and how it boils this long time in the kettle and you these cool marmalade flavors and caramel colors. And even though that's not something they're going to drink, I think when you can spin it or, or get them to buy in and enjoy the way, the story behind it, they're going to like that beer. Mm. Very few instances where someone's going to buy into that thing that I'm telling them across a farmer's market booth or anyone's selling them across a farmer's market booth. They're going to buy that can and they're going to go, yeah, I like this. This is cool. Oh God, that's awful. I don't ever want to try it again. They're gonna, they're still gonna like it. Uh, and it's just a case of finding the story behind and, it. And maybe and they never have it. another one. Maybe not. But it was like a cool experience. They might, they might enjoy it, and it might, it might lead them, it might lead them into somebody else's bottle shop. And they go, well, I had this weird thing from Royal City. I don't really like it. What do you have that's kind of cool, similar to Coors Light? And then we got you. <laughs> I like that though. So I, got them. <laughs> it sounds like what you're saying is the stories of beer are often the way that you capture new drinkers. Is that I, th fair? I think so. I think so. I don't know about new drinkers, but it, it's the way that you you excite people or interest them in what you're doing. It's the romance. Yeah. Give them some piece of it they can identify with, or something that they they enjoy or, or think is cool, and then you know they'll think the stuff you're doing is cool too. I like that. That's that's really dope, man. Like. I guess I never really thought of it as much because, like, I don't know, like, a lot of stuff. I mean, I guess every bee has a story. 
But I'm just yeah, trying to think. Yeah. I just feel like there's some have a, like you said, romantic, which is a great word for it, like a more romantic story than others. Like, hey, the IPA it was fucking started in New England, whatever. Like, it's not as maybe sexy or like maybe the lager thing or what IPAs are. What was it? Put on a boat in Burton on Trent in England, all that stuff. Shut <laughs> <laughs> right up. Um, so the, you know, it's like, you know, that joke where it's always got that like little stocky guy talking to some like, really hot chick and he was like well they were put on a boat like yeah it's like that type of thing but like something like this that's a great meme because they're like yeah yeah we all know that guy but like something like this and stuff like yeah right like i just feel like it's more like a style that isn't as like i was saying not as common that's why i was curious how people respond to it but that is super fascinating to to learn that like the story is really what like yeah humans react to stories Overall, stories are very important in content and narratives and stuff like that. So if you are able to to sell your product and just explaining it, and it's not like some fanciful fake art story, it's legit. This is legitimately the 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 way this beer came about. It has a history outside of this country. That's something that probably most Canadians haven't. I've never been to Norway. Um, sounds lit, and. I think it's really it's like a cool it's a, it's a cool way to sort of approach a you know to get people interested in something and I think that's really what beer it's got to be the most important thing right now no like and I think for us too we often talk about beer in the sense of like beers not appropriate it's not the right word but like picture this you know think about having this beer um you know on a cold night uh in front of a fire yeah. You know, it warms you from the inside. It's high enough alcohol. It's boozy. It's complex. You can drink it slowly. You can enjoy it. And giving those like contexts where like, you know, if you have a drinker that drinks Coors Light or whatever, that's great. Fine. I'm happy that you like that. But maybe that's, you know, think about this to enjoy in a different moment than yeah. you would yeah. six Coors Light in, in your backyard in a, on a hot day. Yeah. Right. Maybe, uh, like, it, maybe there's a new, maybe there's a new experience you can have here. Right. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And then ultimately, if you tie that experience to a good, you know, tie that beer to a good experience that people look differently or they look more fondly upon craft beer or that beer or other people's beer as well. Um, just makes them a little bit more willing to try or open up and try different things or experience different things. Cause maybe they want that experience. They maybe they want that feeling. And they're going to mm -hmm. associate you with talking really about nostalgia, right? Like big nostalgia, like nostalgia is powerful. People like this stuff. People like to feel good about times they've had, right? Yeah. So I think beer, beer just goes so well with that. And just, you know, associating times and places like oh, what you were drinking. Sure what you were drinking. So, I think I'll tell you, uh, uh, go oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Just more. I think it's more important now when in this economy, people don't have as much maybe, uh, you know, uh, disposable income to be dropping on beer. So that story and those experiences are more valuable than perhaps they were before. Definitely. Absolutely. And I, was, uh, and I was just going to say, I'm, uh, you, you know, I'm enjoying this beer uh, uh, like on a cold night in front of a fire with you fine gentlemen right now. And uh, it's going down quite lovely. <laughs> Great. Love that. Love to see it. Yeah. It's like, I haven't thought about that, I guess, because that's what really craft beer maybe, I mean, it shouldn't always be about experiences because it should just be kind of normalized, but there are some styles that are truly experiences that, that 
aren't for everyday consumption and are for that situation that Nate just talked about in front of a fire, chilling, holidays, Christmas night, Christmas Eve, something like that, just really like soaking it up and, you know, as an accompaniment to great food and great company and sort of like some sort of a celebration that's out of the ordinary. If you're going to have an out of the ordinary time in life, you need to have an out of the ordinary beer to go with that. You can still have your crushes, of course, but like, do yourself a favor. You live once. Fuck, you know? It's not like this thing is like $20 a can. Like, you know, it's not crazy. Yeah. 1995. Did I lie? <laughs> it's uh it's cool, man. I think it's it's cool that you guys are doing stuff like this. That's uh sort of like it's like rounded out uh, portfolio. Actually, on that, how many beers would you say you guys I mean you might even know the exact answer, but like how many flagships or, or year rounders and how many seasonals on, on average? I mean, not including like you now obviously you might be like, yo, let's just do this and you just drop it random beer. Um, so I would say we have six or seven kind of year rounders. They're always, always on deck. Uh, we always have a round, um, we probably brew at least three seasonals per season. Okay. I'm just trying to do the mental math there. Um, and then, yeah, we have a couple of annual few, few brews that we do just annually, uh, specific times of year. Um, that sounds about right. Sounds about right. We, yeah, we've in the last we used to do a lot more just like random pop up one offs, um, with the the not the state that's not the right word, but where we're at right now on a production schedule, we do a lot less. Just like oh, yeah. we have time to throw in a random thing. Yeah, um, gotcha. but yeah, there's definitely a bunch of core beers that we have all the time, and then the fridge always has at least three or four seasonals in it. Yeah, seasonal or rotational one off. Gotcha. So we haven't really done a one-off since COVID. That, that, that just really pulled that wind out of those, that wind out of the sales. Um, just with the extra difficulty of packaging stuff that we don't know if we're going to ever do again. Um, so we, we really kind of pulled away from that at that point in time. But it's something I think we should, we, you know, assuming we could find the time in the schedule, the, the brew schedule that is to do it. Uh, something like, you know, I, I think it's valuable. It'd be good to get, figure out a way to do, to get back into. But I was going to ask, like, say if, you guys, whether it's the two of you or Matt or any of the other team, have an idea for a beer, and you're like, "Oh, that sounds like that sounds awesome." How would you go about um, sliding her in? Is it more just like squeezing it in because it sounds like you got a pretty packed, you know, year round uh, schedule? It's you know, is there a way to do that if you guys came up with something? Yeah, it's it's you know the, the schedule is pretty full, but it is flexible, right? So gotcha. you know we. we we have various different brew sizes and, and, uh, and you know, we have double, single, double and triple brew tanks. Um, and it just comes around with massaging things a little bit. So if there's something we absolutely want to do, we can, you know, we can do it. We can do it. Um, it's, uh, you know, I mean, we're a little short of something for a couple of weeks after that, but gotcha. you know, you know, like we have something new in the repertoire on the fridge, it's gonna take a little bit of pressure off that brand from moving the, how fast we need to replenish. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, like it is pretty full, but you know, we we can we can we can make anything work. We can make it work. <laughs> yeah. That's what you say. Dan yes. Dan rolls his eyes. He hears me say that a lot. Goddamn it, Cam again! Yeah, <laughs> this table's done tonight. Okay, that, make, that, that makes sense. I mean, that's kind of cool because it sounds like that you're moving through. It's almost like you, it sounds like your schedule has is kind of like corresponding to the 
the through, uh, moving through the actual the skews, like as they go. And by the time you sort of time to brew the next one, it's wrapping up the the last batch. Is that sort of how you've done it? And is it fairly yeah. consistent? Um, it's moving away from that, I would say. It's moving into a more regular kind of rhythm. Um, and it's just basically production demands. Uh, and the main thing is just keeping different yeast strains viable and alive. Um, and we brew with probably about six different yeast strains fairly regularly here. Um, those are very expensive if you just get one pitch out of them. So trying to figure out how to stack up brands and SKUs that use the same yeast to get a couple of pitches out of them uh, is plays a big role these days. Hmm. Um, where I was going to go with that, you know, you mentioned, mentioned earlier GDCL, and when we first started the brewery, one of the things that I loved about, you know, I don't know how anachronistic it is, the story of GDCL, it's like, you know, we have the, the pub there, you know, on, on Tuesday night, we blow line 12, whatever was on line 12. Well, we have the recipe book with 120 recipes or whatever is in it. And when keg A blows, we just turn the page and brew the next beer the next day. Right. right. Um, so I'd heard that. I don't know if it's accurate or not. Um, it's probably a little romantic again, stories, right? They are. Um, that's cool. I want to do that. Um, and so that's, I guess, kind of where a lot of the stuff that the, the schedule is such as we had, uh, back in the day came from was just like, all right, what haven't we brewed in a little bit? What's next? Um, we'll bring that back. We'll bring that back. You know, times change and things progress. And we got, got to the point where like, you know, with retail demand, with LCBO requirements and stuff like that, we couldn't do that as clearly anymore. Uh, and it didn't always make the most sense seasonally either to do it. Um, but that kind of spirit, I think I, I, I like that spirit a lot. I like the way that that kind of, uh, I like the, I like the, I like the thinking behind the philosophy behind that. It's like, Hey, cool. That's done. Turn the page. What's next. Next. Um, and just kind of see where we go, uh, where we go. Um, and, you know, I think, and, and you know, speaking romantically, I, I'd love to get, you know, a lot of the, 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 the hospitality experience, uh, and some of the beers that we have on draft in the, in the brewery here come back in that kind of mold where, Hey, you know, this is gone for the year, but what, what's next? Yeah. Right. And it's not the same schedule, you know, like this beer doesn't always come out in October. Or this beer doesn't always come out in January. It's just what's next. I, I feel that. I feel like there's something kind of cool to that too. Like as far as if you look from a consumer perspective, it's like if there's something that you love, aside from the year rounders, if there's something that you love and you you like you see it and you know like, oh, I don't know when they're going to bring it back, even though you guys might know every quarter you do it. And it kind of starts to create that demand as well. I've, yeah. I've seen a few breweries do that. There's one brewery in the States that did that a lot. Like they had their main SKUs and they brought them back every so often that it was – I felt that it was like, oh, whenever you see it, you're going to grab it, even though it's sort of a somewhat regular beer, which depending on consumer patterns, they might not always want that. Sometimes there's a beer, oh, what's new, what's new, what's new. But then you're like, oh, well, this last, this latest batch of, of this beer is killer, man. You need to get, you know, I, I don't know. I think there's something to that. I think it's just like yeah. a real fun approach to it all. We used to joke that we would see, you know, in the tap room, people would come in. <laughs> and be like, well, what's new? Like, well, when were we here last? Well, yesterday. <laughs> My favorite was always, what's new? Well, we got this, we got this, we got this, we got this. Okay. Is that it? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> How much do you want, bro? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, now we're doing... I, there, there's Put my boots back on. There the, we go. The, 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 the good thing about having... 
doing less beers as I would say we've gotten significantly yeah. better at the beers that we do all the time. Right. Right. Because you have a lot of insight into that, into those beers, um, which yeah. is great. But yeah, you do compromise that with being less flexible with other things. So it, it's finding a, finding that line between those two things. Yeah. Hmm. Like everything, give the give and take, find the compromise. Yeah, definitely. Indeed. I do love the, uh, the tweaking and the actual getting better at a beer rather than being expected to like come up with something new every other week and like have that out there and it's this untested recipe that could be fire, but could be hot garbage too. You know, it's like, it's <laughs> rolling the dice for the sake of something new. Uh, Nate, I think I cut you off there. No, no, I was just going to say it's, uh, it, it seems like it's probably about time to uh, crack into that last beer. It is looking at, we're coming at two forty three. I told you guys it wasn't going to be two hours. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why we keep saying the average is two hours. I feel like that's a lie. At this, I point. like to undersell it a bit because you know, you just like hey, promise over deliver, right? That's you know what's up. I don't. I, I don't know the last time that we did one under two and a half. Oh yeah, under two. I unheard. Unheard of. What uh, when I worked at Apple, they called it surprise and delight. That's what they like to call it. <laughs> So that's what we do. It's surprising. Right? That's my nickname in college. Yeah. <laughs> they also called you the Mountain King, I bet, didn't they? <laughs> I like that. No. Uh, so this beer, uh, again, sort of inspired by, but by no Ooh. means any sort of tradition tied to um, – Northern Europe, Northern European brewing. Uh, this is Matt's, one of his sort of babies. Um, it is, for all intents and purposes, flavor-wise, very similar to a stout. Okay. A big stout. The grain bill, I would say, is much more complex than a stout. It's got a lot of grain in there, including quite a bit of rye, which Matt is very uh, into. Uh, and fermented with... Hornendal Quike, uh, which is a different Quike strain, which in my mind adds like a woody sort of taste as well as the, like, and I mean this in a nice way, but like, you know, the cheap uh, like square caramels that you get like at cheap Halloween candy. I think I know exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. and it has a little, they're like milky sort of, it has mm -hmm. like a little bit of that flavor on the back end. And I mean that in like a nice way. Um, so we called it a dark ale only because I think stout comes with some other sort of expectations. Implications. Yeah. Than that. And it's fermented with quike and it has all these other grains in it. Um, and again, you know, to, to us, it felt better to call it a dark ale. Although when you taste it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, it's roasty. I respect the distinction. Yeah. I think it's interesting that way. And it's uh, 7% as well. Yes. Is, is this a fairly recent one or, and also just available at the brewery? Just available at the brewery. I think this is our third time making it. Yeah. Fourth okay. time. One version once uh, where we also uh, fermented it with Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm. Uh, it was really nice. Um, so we're like so two doors down from us is a place called uh, Camille Juices. They're like an old school uh, wine wine and beer no wine on premise spot, but they sell homebrew equipment. Yeah, um, 
supplies and all kinds, and of, all kinds of stuff like that too. Yeah. So okay. we'll, uh, we, again, when we were in our quake phase, um, <laughs> we were doing all kinds of experiments with like fermenting all kinds of things with quake and double quake over here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so we did, we did a co-ferment, uh, or not a co-ferment. We, we fermented, uh, Mountain King with Cabernet Sauvignon with Quake. I can see uh, that one. And, yeah, it ended up being very delicious. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it just uh, again, Matt uh, loves this sort of style and uh, was playing around with Quake for quite a long time and this kind of just came out of that and mm -hmm. is a delicious food. Yeah. This is fascinating. You're right that it's yeah. like it's like a stout, but not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is like difficult to place. Uh, yeah. like the last beer too, um, definitely getting that like mm -hmm. like that cola molassesy type of thing yeah. going on, uh, almost like black licorice, kind of. Yep, thing. I get that um, too. Another uh, thing that I yeah. get that I get if I can interject there, um, the, you mentioned rye, and when that comes out in a stout, it always like it always um, it tends to come along. I find with a very dry finish. Uh, but like much drier than like what an oatmeal stout would, for instance. Um, and, uh, and that's what I'm getting here, which I find is kind of a different differentiator to what I would typically associate with the, like with a stout of this ABV. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the rye also gives it that sort of, you know, like I said, the, the, the quack, I think, has this woody character, but the rye gives it that spiciness that it has as well. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Mm. This is a... The body's amazing. This is a very... Yeah, this is a complex beer which kind of defies style. Yeah. Which, uh, like I said, so I kind of like that you went with something um, a bit kind of defiant of definition. Yeah, it, it's something that we, I'm not going to say feel strongly about, but we don't like calling things things that they aren't. And, mm. uh, you know, there's, I don't, I'm not saying we have to be as rigorous about it as they are in Europe, where there's a whole bunch of classifications for, you know, you know, you can only produce this wine or this beer or this food in this region. But, it's interesting having been in beer for a long time now and teaching people about beer uh, through Prudhomme that we're in an, in an era now where a lot of younger people only have grown up with craft beer. Mm -hmm. They've only had the craft beer examples of some classic styles. And so when you introduce them to like the original or one of the OGs of the style, they'll be like, well, that doesn't taste like X and X craft breweries version and you're like you're right it doesn't when they were making that beer this is the beer that they modeled it on mm, yeah and to me there, there's there's this really cool thing about craft beer where we've pushed the envelope and changed styles and and not been beholden to those things which is great but at the same time in some cases we are i think not doing justice to some of the classic styles. Mm. And so I think there's a big thing with us is like, we just don't want to call something, something that it's not. And then people try it and that's their expectation of that style. And then they have another version or whatever. And they're like, Oh, that, that's not what, that's not what that tastes like. 
right? And, and so yeah. there's this line that that we try to like tread with that, where it's like if if we were pretty sure that this is a good example of that style, we're going to call it that. If there's something where we're like, well, this is different than it's kind of supposed to be. It's delicious though, but it's not. It's not that. And then we just kind of go with a generic name. Yeah, I think the um, kind of the exact exact. It was one of the mantras early on in the day, early days here was just if you're going to make something, make it. Like if you're going to make a style, make that style. Do it justice. Do the. If you're putting that label on the box. Put the right thing in the box. Yeah. Um, and so you know, I think that that kind of. Uh, ethos kind of still works here and that we, we're not putting that thing in the box. We're not putting that name on the box. Uh, when we put a name in the box, it's, it's the thing that's supposed to be in the box. Yeah. I like no, that. That totally makes sense. It's, uh, it's just like, it's a cool approach, I guess. And like, you, you, particularly in a time when people are, some people are resistant to craft beer, I guess, still. And you want to sort of, we want to make it as easy as possible. So with exactly what you're saying, Cam, like, if it is what it is, you don't want to mislead anybody, which is kind of why you've basically been kind of what we we're saying before. Like you've been extremely explicit or like strong ale or dark ale and provoked a conversation as opposed to put putting something on the can that isn't what is inside it. So I feel like it's like you've taken two, I don't know if that's fair, taken two approaches and, and both totally valid. Cause I feel like, Almost like what, what we were saying before about stories are what intrigues human beings. Like that's also, you know, that's so important to get people into craft beer. Cause that's really like where we're at right now. Like we need more people in, we got breweries closing almost every week now, which is horrific. I even saw one today. I think it was in BC or no, was it the States? I don't even remember. Cause it's fucking nonstop. It's so crazy. So it's like, all right, well, the only way, obviously we're on a little bit of a downtrend. It is what it is, but like one way to do it is to continue to introduce people to this stuff. And like, it's like, tell them those stories, tell them what's in the can, get them to ask questions, uh, you know? And I feel like it's like convince people that like, yo, bro, you live once. Don't you want the best? Don't you want to drink yeah. good? Why would you put that other nonsense in your body when this exists and it supports local business? Don't you want local businesses to thrive because they're hiring people in your community and injecting tax dollars, way too many, but into <laughs> the province? You know what I'm saying. You feel me, Cam. So it's, yeah, I think it's really important what you guys are doing with that and just getting people to, to, to talk about it and just to ask questions and to figure it out. Because I think that's what, even if you think back when we all got into craft beer, like it was like, asking questions like what is this what's going on here yeah. there's a curiosity and like as long as people can answer their questions without being pretentious which i think that pretension isn't really too prevalent anymore no we beer. talk about where there is a you know and you know too there's a time you know people walked into beer bars and what do you mean you don't know what a saison is <laughs> right like that i we have worked very hard to never be that place and i think most people nowadays like that I, I don't walk into many breweries or beer bars anymore where I get that vibe. Good. Yeah. Good. good. I think that's so important. I couldn't even tell you the last time I kind of saw that though. I always, I, I don't know. I always thought I was kind of like biased because I got into beer. You guys seem like you got into it long before I did. But Dan, when I worked at Beer Market, I'd been, I started January 2011, the selfie shit. 
And that's how I learned. I was drinking beer previously to that, but I, I started to proactively discover it. So by the time I worked at beer market, I'd been, it'd been like a year, not even. And because maybe it was the, the type of uh, role I had there, like I didn't really have to, I never made to feel silly. Like I felt like you were the guy who was, and Craig as well, but introducing me to stuff. All right, this is what Jupiler is. Try this. This is Grimbergen. Try this explaining it. I, like, I bet cool cool i drank a few other things like this i get it and i think back then it, i don't know if that pretension was there because craft beer wasn't as big and then um as time went on it just seemed like it got to that pretentious stage and now maybe we've rounded that corner perhaps and it's sort of like no brewery or beer bar is going to be doing themselves any favors by being pretentious or, or sort of uh, exclusive to anybody um, who just wants to learn and get into it and just be like, hey, what's this about? Tell me about this. Yeah. Like, you know, it makes no sense. As, as you say, in this economy, you can't be turning customers away. You know, you no. That's right. People in. That's right. It's it's yeah. more important than ever. And um, particularly for like, you know, the, the breweries, is, which is like some of the stuff we're talking about tonight. I mean, there's the taxation, but they're also just the ridiculous archaic rules that if – I made t-shirts, I can sell them anywhere. And you make this other product and now all of these 8 million rules stop you from thriving. I saw a stat, I was trying to find this stat like yesterday and I couldn't find it, but there was some stat that that was saying the percentage say of beer, um, uh, I guess like craft beer high, like how many households are supported by craft beer or how many, the percentage of all beer uh, people, the the you know, obviously, what's craft five percent in Canada, something like that. Uh, I think nationally it's a little higher. Uh, Ontario it's lower. Um, okay. The most recent numbers I've seen were probably in Ontario. It's about eleven percent of the market. Um, out west, it's in the twenties. Um, Jesus. Okay, that's okay. I last I heard was five, so that's fantastic news. But even if you look I, I, out east or where the, what those numbers are, or Quebec, maybe but, that's uh, that's national average. Maybe, Maybe that national average. I mean, that's pretty dope. But it was still, even with including all the macros, craft beer it was like something like, and I'm going to absolutely butcher it, but it was something like 80-something percent of the uh, volume of employees were, of all beer employees were in craft breweries just because of the sheer numbers, you know? And well, like, because they, they can make, like, the big breweries, <laughs> once they have the technology in place, it's people pushing buttons, which ain't nothing against what their job is, but like, it doesn't matter how it's big different. the brewery is. Yeah. yeah. Different. It, it's scale. It's, 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 it's an industrial process versus a, you more know, manual, a more manual or more organic kind of, kind of thing. Mm. And that's, you know, ultimately that, that's, that's the, these are some of the most successful companies on earth that wind up in that state. Um, it's just, you know, what ultimately has to happen to get there. I, I don't know that I'm on board with. Um, yeah. Where, where that has to what what you have to give to get what you what you get at that scale um it doesn't feel like as as important a pro or as it, it just feels more soulless the more soulless mm. thing i and like yep, i'm not I'm not so romantic i don't think that you know we run a manufacturing business that, that's what our brewery is we, we manufacture product we just do it in a more handwork way than they do at uh, at uh at a, at a major um but like you know, to be viable as a brewery in this province, in this country, and in, in general, you have to come at it with that 
that mentality that this is a facility that needs to produce a product. It's a factory. Mm. It's a factory. <laughs> yeah. We hate to say hate that, to say but that. that's what it that's, is. Right. And if you have that mentality, or at least at least keep that mentality in your mind, or, or be be cognizant of that, or accepting of that, like it only goes so far, and it only lasts so long. Um, if you ultimately can't make what you're doing, you can't do what you're doing in a way that supports the business and the people that work there. It's in, you're not going to be around, um, and that's unfortunate. And that's not always people's fault that they're not around. It's not all like, you know, factors change, economies change, inflation, prices, markets change, and people people you know have hard times. Um, but for me, anyway, I think that you've really got to be just very cognizant and very accepting of the fact that, unfortunately, like that that's that's the basis of this is that we have to make something that is is economically viable. Yeah. We have to be viable business. We have to be cognizant of the fact that we have a plant here. We spent a lot of money building this plant out here and it's got to produce. Otherwise there's no point in having it. Right. Um, so like it, it does, it does kind of take some of the romance out of the, out of it for sure. Um, but, uh, but it's definitely, it's got to be one of the forefront at the forefront of your thinking. It's not, I don't want, I'm not trying to, that's the thing that makes the decisions that we use to make decisions. So that's not the lens that we try to look through the business at, but it's got to be part of the calculation. Mm. And that's the thing, like when we're running a production facility, we're employing, you know, we're employing people to do most of those jobs where, you know, larger brewers, it's automated. And again, I'm not saying that they're doing anything wrong. That, that makes sense from a cost perspective to do. Most, yeah. most people, if they could save money by doing that, would do that. But most small brewers are never going to be able to afford that sort of yeah. automation. The the number that I've kind of heard at it, I heard, heard tossed around about it, and is you know ninety percent of the beer is made by five percent of the labor force. Um, so you're looking at you know ninety five percent of the beer or the workers in brewing in Ontario and or Canada working craft brewers. Um, they produce collectively five to ten percent of the actual beer consumed. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that's kind of, it's just that those numbers are not gospel. I mean, that, that's just, uh, uh, as, as an illustration of how that, how that ratio works is that, mm. yeah, we are incredibly labor heavy on, on our side. Our, our workers produce as an industry substantially less beer per labor unit, whatever you want to call it, an hour, person, whatever, uh, than the big guys can. Right. Just by um, sheer mechanics. Really. Yeah. That's by it's your scale. That's really it. It's just scale. So then it um, makes the rules even more ridiculous. That are the more restrictive rules, like look how much harder everyone else has it, yet this is what craft breweries have to deal with to sell a product where in Las Vegas, in Key West, in Savannah, Georgia, you can walk the fucking streets and it's no problem and people aren't just dropping dead from alcohol. And there's a cannabis shop on every corner, but no, you have to like you have all these crazy restrictions on beer. It's just so absurd. Like it's just it's okay, guys. We get it. We know it's bad. It's alcohol, but like we can handle ourselves. It's okay. It's the biggest kind of paradox or, or, or hypocrisy, I think, in Ontario. And not not to cast shade on, on on the cannabis side of things, but you can walk out of a cannabis shop and light up a joint and walk down the street. Correct. You can't walk to a beer store and open a beer. Nope. Yeah. But you can in those cities I mentioned, and you I can. went to yeah. all three of them. 
and I didn't see no dead motherfuckers on the streets. Everything was a vibe. I didn't know when I went to both Savannah and uh, and Key West this year, I pulled up and the people at the hotel both times were like, yeah, you can drink in the streets. I was like, I, I lost my shit and was very responsible because I'm old. But it was like, it was great. It was such a vibe. I'm like, there's no talking. Yeah, it's just the option. And I'm just like, stop telling me what to do. I came from, I thought Australia was like a nanny state with too many rules. I came here and it's slightly different, but the same shit. Like, it's still ridiculous. And it just doesn't make any sense in 2023 to have rules from the 1920s that aren't really applicable. And there's other examples of fully functioning cities where you can do the things that you can't do here and everybody's just fine. There's still people fighting and vomiting on King Street in Toronto every fucking weekend. What difference does it make? You let them drink, they're going to go in the club and drink their face off because they know they can't drink in the street, like afterwards. It's just, I don't know. It's just so uh, backwards. And it's like, it's just, you, you seeing businesses close constantly. And I'm like, why? There's no need for any of that. Like, you could just, laws aren't real. We're all, mad, everything's man made. Just change it. And it's just like, it's not. And it's like, it's all just like, well, we do it this way because we've always done it this way. And then it becomes that nonsense. And then here we are. Yep. It's crazy. And a lot of people, if they just, if, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are people at the AGCO or in the government in Ontario who look at what's on the books and go, why is that there? Like, I don't know. It doesn't make, you're right. It doesn't make sense. You know, here, here's, a, here's a good one. Like, you know, good on the government for changing this one on day five of the pandemic. Um, previously for us to deliver beer that was ordered on our website, we would have had to have an alcohol delivery license, uh, okay. like a alcohol delivery service license, uh, which we couldn't have as a manufacturer. Hmm. So we would have had to, like, basically, we would have been able to get online orders, but we would have had to have people come down to the brewery to pick them up. That's Quebec. Okay. Uh, I don't understand that. That's weird. It's stupid. But, you know, on day five of the pandemic, whatever, that law changed and we were allowed to deliver our own product to customers. To be fair, they have, as much as it's still a pain in the ass, there have been some positive changes in the right direction. Yeah. Oh, sure. sure. I'm not trying to neglect that or, or negate that. It's just, I feel like, I don't know if I, I, maybe I'm outside of it. You guys, I just feel like it's, it's cool, but it's not enough. That's all. Yeah, 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 you're, not it, you're not wrong. It's the, it, this, the volume of change necessary. I kind of think is, it's, it's staggering. Um, and we're, staggering. we're just, kind of, just kind of chipping away at it little bits at a time. Uh, we're making progress and progress is good. We're moving, we're moving the sticks. just not, you know, not fast necessarily fast. Yeah. Yep. It's wild. I, I feel you pain boys. It's, uh, it's crazy what you guys have to deal with. Um, was I see we're just over three hours now. I told you, to see. Um, yeah, got it. Got to just throw in this Mountain King is exceptional, by the oh, way. This I'm is really enjoying game. this. Yeah, that's on that. I love that. Yep, absolutely. Hmm. It's just such an it. interesting beer, and it's so like it's great. It's, it's got so much going on. It's, it's phenomenal. Everything has been, dude, I'm, like, just be dead, dead I'm, serious. I, 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 Everything I'm, I'm really into shit like this. Yeah. Yeah, this beer is phenomenal, but I really feel like all of these beers tonight have been so impressive. Like I feel like everything is just super, super well done and well executed um, across the board. Like exceptionally impressed. Uh, obviously, you guys are champions, and already came into this knowing you both, and like knowing like I was gonna, I knew it was gonna be great, but I haven't had your stuff for a bit. It seems, and like all six of these beers were super different uh, and just super well. But I. What it is for me is that, like I feel like there's intention behind uh, like behind all of these and it really delivers. Yeah. Thank you. Everyone. 
Are you guys it's, doing it's, some? We, we, I was just gonna say that, like, that means a lot because that is how I would say we think about it, and definitely how Matt thinks about his beard. Like, it's this guy wakes up and goes to sleep thinking about what's going into this can, and uh, you know, I would say sometimes to a fault, maybe. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's. I think it'll be nice for him to hear that people feel that on the other end. For Yo. sure. Shouts yeah. to Matt. Yeah. Shout out to Matt. Every Matt in beer. All seven. <laughs> it's like 87% of the craft beer employees <laughs> named Matt. Even in Quebec, there's Matt. 87% of the oh. beer brewed in Canada is brewed by 1%. Matt, <laughs> Matt and Matthew. That's, yeah. I'm not joking because I even I think I did a search recently to see how many mats on no, the I pod. Think you're right. I think you're you right. B O S podcast M A T just one mat because sometimes it might be M A T I E U. You know, just in case. Yep, yep. It's exactly. absurd how many they are. I love I love to see it. Chris is another big one, big one. Yeah, oh, Matt, yeah. Matt, and Chris. There is some Dan's and Cams though. To be honest, there's a bunch of mm-hmm. Dan's and Cams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. Uh, that's true. That's true. There are some Dan's and Cams. Yeah, Adam. Adam's Adam's another one. Yep. Do you know what? We had two podcasts back to back, and I was just, you know, like I made the 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 fucking asset to to promote it last night, and the week before was Adam and Rich, and this week was Adam and Matt. (laughs) (laughs) I said, Tiff, there's two Adam. Have a guess what the next name is for this one, and she's like, (laughs) the first one she was Mike, and I was like, no, and she's like Matt. I'm like, there you go. I'd love to see it. We should do a survey. CCBA should do a survey. I want to see their spreadsheet of their members sorted by first name. Either that, or we should just do, or, or we should just do a word cloud of the names of all of, like, of all of the guests for the year. I'll talk to ChatGPT and be like, guys, put it together. So good. It's amazing, uh, boys. This has been such a fucking great conversation. I really appreciate you guys. I feel like it's just like. I feel like getting much more of a better understanding of what's happening out there in G Town. Do people call it G Town? No, no, you do. You do. No one has. Uh, ever, no one has ever called it G Town. <laughs> there's, a, there's a city in Mel- just outside of Melbourne called Geelong. They call it G Town. And I remember when we toured in 2014, we called it. I like to come up with nicknames for everywhere we're going, and we just called it G Town. The what? Mm-hmm. The home of the cats. What's the cats? Aussie football team. Oh, the Geelong kit. You know about the kitties? How'd you know about that? <laughs> I, got, I got my sources. You know about Gary Ablett, huh? Fucking just, mate, legend. I got a picture of me and my uh, very best mate standing at the corner of Toronto and Ontario Street uh, in, uh, in Gila and Geelong. So there's a sign on the, uh, the yeah? Toronto, Ontario Street, like pointing at each other. Like, he is. No, he is. <laughs> wow. That's that. That was like I, I was just saying stuff. Like that's amazing. I love it. <laughs> Geelong is beautiful, wonderful place. Yeah, a number of years ago. Wow, look at that. That's fucking beauty, mate. Oh, we could get into that. I won't go down that tangent. We're on tangents all evening, boys. Um, this has been super, super great. Just before we wrap up, I want to take a screenshot of everyone. Do you want to hold up some uh, some cans? Yeah, sure. We're gonna do. Ooh. Okay, we'll hold up right. the holiday cans right here. Yeah, get the holiday one. Do it for Santa, Nate. Do it for Uncle Santa. Oh, oh, hang on. What's you got the exhibition? You got Mountain King. Maybe I'll put Mountain King down. I'll get something else. Oh, give me that cream ale. There you go. Yeah. 
Let me represent. Let me, here we go, between us all. Oh, Nate doesn't mess around. All right, ready? Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. Uh, Gentlemen, where can everybody find Royal City online? Uh, It is www. Does people still say www? You can say it. I like www. The internet. The internet. RoyalCityBrew.ca. And then all the socials are just Royal City Brew. Royal City Brew. I love it. Um, stick around after I'm going to, we'll wrap this up and we'll just say goodbye off air, but, uh, boys champions loved it. This is awesome guys. Go Royal city brew, go visit when you're in G town and, uh, pick up some beers, get these Christmas beers before you can. By the time this comes out, you should have time to grab all this stuff. Uh, Nathaniel, where can everyone find you online? So everybody, uh, everybody everywhere at Nathan does beer. He's drunk. Um, guys, thank you so much for watching and listening. If you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up, hit subscribe below, hit that notification bell, Nathaniel. Ding. So you know when the new drops. Follow us everywhere at BOS Podcast. Check out the long-form audio so you can hear attractive gentlemen like Cameron and Daniel talk about craft beer in G-Town. Guys, we'll see you in the next episode. Get it in. Royal City. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.